Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. People are mysterious, even to themselves. Frank Latricchia. The mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive, but in finding something to live for. Fyodor Dostoevsky. Both of these quotes make me think of Las Vegas mass shooter Stephen Paddock. Did he do what he did in part because he felt like he had nothing else to live for outside of planning and committing this tragic act? And, or I guess maybe or, did he even really understand why he was doing what he did on Sunday, October 1st, 2017, when thousands of people, roughly 22,000 people, were attending the final night of the Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival on Las Vegas's famous strip? At 9.40 p.m., the festival's final performer, Jason Aldean, went on stage to close out the concert. He'd opened up singing, They Don't Know, followed by The Only Way I Know, Johnny Cash, Take a Little Ride, A Little More Summertime, and Any Old Barstool. People were having fun. The weather was perfect. In that mid-70s sweet spot, with no glaring sun beating down on anyone, slight breeze, just the lights from the strip, the drinks were flowing, thousands were dancing, singing along, lots of tight jeans and cowboy hats. They were enjoying the final minutes of a super fun, country music-filled weekend, and come Monday morning, I'm guessing most of them would be flying back to their office jobs and normal day-to-day lives. Many were probably thinking that the worst that could happen to them was getting a drink spilled on them or getting shoved by some over-eager concert-goer. Or maybe they drink a little too much and make some regrettable sexual decision, then lean on that age-old idiom of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. At 10.05 p.m., this reality was abruptly shattered by Stephen Paddock. Aldine was singing When She Says Baby, the last song he or anyone else would sing that night from the stage, the last song anyone would ever sing at the Harvest Country Music Festival. From the 32nd floor of the nearby Mandalay Bay Hotel, a hail of semi-automatic gunfire began to rain down on unsuspecting concertgoers. At first, most present seemed to think it was fireworks, but then they saw people nearby falling down and bleeding, or they felt a bullet pierce their skin. Chaos now erupted. As people ran for the exit, stampeding as they tried to get to safety, this unprovoked domestic terrorist attack went on for 10 minutes until 10.15 when the shooting abruptly stopped. 
In that short span of time, 59 people would be dead or dying. 41 or 411 would be wounded by bullets. And then thanks to the stampede brought on by all this, the injured count would climb to 867. Two more will later die of injuries relating to wounds they received that night, raising the total death toll to 61. One of the deaths, of course, would be the shooter. When law officers barged the door, leading into one of his two rented rooms at the Mandalay Bay Hotel, they found Stephen, a 64-year-old real estate investor living in Mesquite, Nevada, lying dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. His hotel room was filled to the brim with guns, ammo, scopes, other high-tech gear he'd used for the shooting. As investigators started the arduous task of piercing it all, piecing it all together, they found no note, no blog posts, no journal entries, nothing to find a motive. But then just a day later, the terrorist organization ISIS would claim responsibility for the attack, saying Paddock was one of their agents. And Las Vegas Sheriff Joe Lombardo would say that there must have been several gunmen as he tried to grapple with the magnitude of the carnage. Rumors of a terrorist attack began swirling. Sheriff Lombardo would later retract his statement, but by the time he did, a circus of media pundits, politicians, conspiracy theorists were already off and running with all kinds of unsubstantiated speculation. Media pundits spun sensationalism because, as we've talked about time and time again, fear and hyperbole sell. Politicians mobilized to blame the attack on whatever or whoever suited their political agendas. And conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones, they went buck wild talking about how they knew what the shooting was really about. Stephen Paddock was an Antifa operative or perhaps a member of the deep state coordinating a a false flag attack with a bunch of paid crisis actors. Do any of these conspiracies actually have any legs? Who was Stephen Paddock? Why did he do what he did? What conclusions did the FBI and Las Vegas police come to when they were done conducting their investigations into who Stephen was, uh, why he did what he did? Do we have any satisfying answers today? Or will we never know why a Nevada realtor in his mid-60s, or excuse me, real estate investor with no criminal history, committed the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history? What the hell was Stephen Paddock thinking when he took aim that October night through his hotel room window? All of this madness and more today on another true crime, mystery, and conspiracy edition of Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald, and you're listening to Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, you stupid piece of shit. Get out of here. Stop listening. I want to be left alone for this episode. Do it by myself. JK. Uh, sometimes I feel crazy and I say things. I, I didn't mean it. Welcome to the Cult of the Curious. You're always welcome here. Get in here. I'm Dan Cummins, a suckinator. Doc Holliday's mustache stylist. Amish lingerie model. New Mexico prison relations specialist. And you are listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod. Hail Lucifina. Thanks for spending extra time with Lindsay and I lately. Uh, praise Bojangles. And I hope uh, touring is going well. Triple M. Going to skip over my own tour announcement this week, other than to say thank you, Orlando, for uh, for turning out uh, some fun shows. Uh, and you can find all the rest of the dates for the spring at dancomas.tv if you're curious. But now I need to announce something else, something uh, where instead of me traveling to see you, you could travel to see me and hundreds of fellow meat sacks. Uh, tickets for the 2022 Bad Magic Gathering are almost on sale. Fuck yeah, bro. Hot, wet, bad magic summer camp ticket sales. Uh, Going to go live March 15th at 12 noon Pacific time. So, woo! Hee-hee-yah! <laughs> uh, you can purchase your tickets at badmagicmerch.com. You can look for the banner at the top of the page. Camp is going to be August 19, 20, and 21st for VIPs and 20 and 21st for the uh, GA. It's going to be so much fun with camp activities like swimming, paddleboarding, arts and crafts, adult games like a giant beer pong, speed friending, endless amounts of drinking, overall adult fun. 
going to be alive, scared to death because summer camp is not complete without spooky stories told in the woods at night. It's going to be alive as we dumb for some extra laughs and lots of extra fun, uh, lots of live music and more. So bring your uh, swimsuits and suntan lotion and, you know, let's get wet. Lucifina just winked at me. The entire Bad Magic crew is going to be there. So don't miss your chance to hang out with us. Uh, Very excited for that. And then a quick, cool merch announcement. And then we're off and running for today's big show. Uh, Sheep Squatch, Mothman, and the Flatwoods Monster. What do these three cryptids have in common? You can find all of them now in the Bad Magic store. Uh, Visit badmagicmerch.com to browse our new cryptid collection. They're just cool shirts. Uh, When I first got really into like graphic tees as an adult, I got really into these Ames Brothers tees. And I had, there was like uh, some cryptids fighting each other on them. I remember one was like a, a unicorn and Sasquatch wrestling. And uh, these, it's like our version of those. Uh, I don't even think Logan knows about those shirts. But I'm just thinking of that now. I'm so glad we have these in store. They're very, very just cool graphic tees inspired by the Appalachian cryptid suck. And if you don't see your favorite monster, you can let us know on Instagram which cryptids you, uh, you would like to see next by using hashtag time suck cryptid. And now off to this week's topic. Uh, may Nimrod guide my mind. As we delve deep into some crazy water again. Uh, may Lucifina not distract me. As I try to bring some reason to an unreasonable act. Uh, today we're diving of course back into the realm of mass atrocities. Uh, while we've covered much bigger mass atrocities before. Like the Armenian Genocide or the Nazis Warsaw Ghetto in World War II. I believe this is our uh, just our second mass shooting event following Suck number 201 on Columbine. Uh, sadly there have been so many others we could cover. All right here in just the U.S like the 2016 Orlando nightclub shooting where a gunman killed 49 or the 2007 Virginia Tech shooting where a gunman shot and killed 32 or the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting in 2012 where 27 were killed. Just in the past few years, uh, a lone gunman killed 23 in an El Paso Walmart in 2019. Another dozen killed in Virginia Beach that same year and just last year, 10 killed in a King Super Supermarket in Boulder, Colorado. All terrible tragedies and there are so many others but no mass shooting in U.S. history has been more deadly than the one we're covering today. And it happened, you know, less than five years ago. But at least in my opinion, uh, did not get near the same amount of media coverage as many of the others. Why is that? I wanted to cover this topic because I just knew so little about it. You know, so I tried to find uh, some answers along with uh, researcher Sophie Evans this week. Who the fuck was Stephen Paddock? Why did he open fire on unarmed concert goers? To look at the 2017 Las Vegas shooting, we'll first look back at our previous coverage of Columbine to show how these two shootings were similar and also how they differed. Next, we'll look at how conspiracy theorists uh, reacted to this tragedy in the days following October 1st, 2017. A lot of different theories thrown out regarding who Stephen was, uh, why this happened, and we'll examine several. Then we'll do our best to figure out why Stephen Paddock, uh, or sorry, who he was, before heading into our time suck timeline and going, you know, at some points, minute by minute in our coverage of a tragedy that would uh, take dozens of lives and injure hundreds and hundreds of others. And then finally, before we recap uh, what we've went over and I share some final thoughts, we'll hop into another idiot of the internet segment, examining some uh, YouTube comments left by people who are positive that they know who Steven really was and what really happened in Las Vegas in 2017. Open your eyes, sheeple. I doubt you'll agree with the conclusions uh, they've come to. Uh, or at least, I, I really fucking hope you will not agree with the conclusions they come to. Uh, let us begin. Yeah, going to revisit Columbine to kick things off here. Like I said, uh, April 20th, 1999, two Columbine High School seniors, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. I believe I, I believe I referred to them as uh, Bedwetty Mama's Boy and Micropene Stinky Nuts in a few previous episodes. 
They unleashed a horrific attack on their classmates and teachers. They murdered 12 students, a teacher, wounded over 20 others before turning their guns on themselves. And in the aftermath, everyone wanted to know, of course, why? Why would they throw away their futures and the futures of so many others in this seemingly senseless act? Was it because as many proposed immediately following the shooting that they were social outcasts who had been ruthlessly bullied by jocks for years who made their lives a living hell and they snapped and went on a rampage motivated by a desire to settle a score? That's what a lot of media outlets reported. The Washington Post said fellow Columbine students described them as a constant target of derision for at least four years. The Los Angeles Times said their peers considered the attack lethal payback for old taunts and prejudices. But Peter Langman, a psychologist who specializes in studying school shootings and many other experts in the years that followed the shooting, strongly disagreed. Peter wrote, they both had a lot of friends. They both engaged in school activities, out-of-school activities. They worked part-time jobs with some of their buddies at a pizza shop. Uh, both were in a bowling league. Harris uh, played on the school soccer team as a freshman sophomore, continued to play soccer and volleyball after school, right according to the sheriff's report. Klebold was in a fantasy baseball league, uh, gone to prom with a female friend just a few days before the massacre, seemed to have had a great time. Langman added that Harris's personal writings, many of which were recovered after the massacre, revealed a variety of twisted so-called reasons for his desire to kill. He wanted to see himself as the law. He killed for the pure sadistic pleasure of it. He killed because he felt, according to these writings, that the human race was only worth killing and also as revenge for being teased. Revenge was but one of uh, many reasons and seemingly not the biggest. Harris expressed a desire to kill complete strangers in his writings, you know, much more often than he wrote of wanting to kill those who he had felt wronged him. Finally, directly refuting the revenge motive theory, Harris and Klebold did not kill any of the students that they had previously alleged had teased them, despite hunting classmates for 45 minutes. The FBI would come to the same conclusion that these two were not excessively bullied and that revenge did not factor primarily into their violent actions. They felt the two were gunning primarily for infamy. They bragged about dwarfing the carnage of the Oklahoma City bombing, right? They decided that America was fucked, so fuck America. Harris once wrote in his journal, isn't America supposed to be the land of the free? How come if I'm free, I can't deprive a stupid fucking dumb shit from his possessions if he leaves them sitting in the front seat of his fucking van out in plain sight and in the middle of fucking nowhere on a fry fucking day night, natural selection, fucker should be shot. They seem to have done what they did because Eric Harris was a fucking psychopath with a superiority complex and Klebold was his deeply disturbed sidekick kind of henchman follower. Uh, They weren't grotesquely bullied teens. They were deranged assholes. And unfortunately, deranged assholes don't need good logical reasons to kill. They don't have to provide us with some satisfying moment of, aha, that, that right there. That's why I did it. Oh, okay, so now if we just work on that in society, we can really help prevent the chance of this ever happening again. Fuck yeah, bro. File this act in the now we get it, so now we can prevent it, not worry about it folder. No, the nonsensicalness of it all is uh, so much scarier than bullied kids overreacting to bullies. At least in that scenario, as long as you're not doing the bullying, right? you don't have to worry about getting shot up by the bully, right? So much scarier if it's random or some, you know, uh, you know, shitty, no one is safe from this notion of infamy kind of act. So what was uh, Stephen's motive? Was it infamy as well? Did he also uh, want to lash out at strangers because of some superiority complex because fuck America and fuck Americans? Maybe. While Stephen Paddock and the Columbine shooters were about as different as different could be on the surface, Stephen was 64, wealthy retired man who didn't seem to have uh, much in the way of a personality. Uh, the Columbine shooters were young teenage men who spent hours on the internet spewing hateful messages about being big fans of Adolf Hitler, about how America was full of idiots, idiots deserve to die, 
uh, you know, big personalities, uh, their under, underlying motives might have been pretty similar. And they did seem to share some personality traits. Paddock, like Eric Harris, was described by some uh, as an arrogant guy. Some did say he became more and more arrogant and uh, also anti-government over the final years of his life. Didn't like the way the government taxed him, was worried about the government taking his guns, etc. But a lot of people uh, are both arrogant and anti-establishment and they don't, you know, shoot up a concert. What pushed Paddock into action? Uh, It's harder to determine than it was with the Columbine shooter. Stephen didn't leave behind journal entries or blog posts uh, pointing towards why he did what he did. Much less social in general than the Columbine killers. Investigators were able to interview numerous friends of Harris and Klebold after the attacks. They could interview family uh, that those two still lived with right up until the day of the attack. Paddock was uh, more of a true loner, much more. No close friends, it seems. He also really distanced himself from his girlfriend in the final months leading up to the tragedy and doesn't seem like they really ever shared a deep relationship to begin with. There was no family he kept in close touch with, I would say. Uh, He had no real coworkers, just some property managers who managed some of his rentals for him, usually from a distance. Very few records of any kind with Paddock compared to with Klebold and Harris. You know, at least they were being monitored by their schools and parents. Paddock doesn't seem to have had a a history of violent outbursts or instability. Uh, No journalist has been able to uh, uncover that at least. I can't find any arrest reports or medical records that would indicate that either. I mean, we'll get into a little bit of medical stuff, but you know, uh, the only time he ever sought psychiatric treatment was for anxiety and it was just from his primary physician, not a psychiatrist, uh, just like millions of Americans do every year. So again, why the fuck did he do it? Let's first look at the official word from the government who are probably, if not definitely, deep state puppets covering this mess up for the reptilian masters. Same old fucking story. Uh, no, the best the, uh, the investigators come up with regarding the motive uh, was that he was having a hard time coping with old age, failing health, and money problems. And like the Columbine killers, he wanted infamy. He wanted to go out in a blaze of glory, uh, make a name for himself after a lifetime of being little more than your average upper middle class white dude. But there's a lot of conjecture with that uh, assessment. More of an educated guess, uh, and a guess less educated than with the Columbine shooters. I'll get into a lot more detail about the official assessment, you know, later once we know more about Stephen down in the timeline. For now, just know that for many, the lack of official answers, you know, read, continues to read as a cover-up. Many of us, when interpreting tragedies like this in the absence of any obvious definitive motive, our brains tend to go a little bit fucking crazy, a little cray-cray. In the last 20 years, particularly in the last 10, numerous studies have been conducted to try and figure out why that is. Examining the relationship between the need for cognitive closure levels of belief in real-world conspiracy theories, and the attribution of conspiracy theories to explain events. The results of these studies are, in short, uh, when the world does not provide us an answer to something, rather than accept we might not ever know that answer, a lot of us assign an answer so we can have cognitive closure, right? Okay, now I got it. You know, book closed. Let's read a new book. And the more conspiratorially minded you are, the more likely it is for that answer to be a conspiracy. And if you're real conspiratorially minded, uh, you'll even assign conspiracy related answers to events that we do seem to have, you know, good answers for, uh, such as a shooting where we seem to definitely understand the shooter's motivation, right? Take the 2016 Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting. A lot of conspiracies around that one too. On that shooting, the attacker Omar Mateen, born to Afghan American Muslim parents, told law enforcement that the 2016 attack on the nightclub where Omar killed 49 people before being shot and killed by law enforcement was done in retaliation for recent American military airstrikes on Iraq and Syria. He explicitly stated his motive. He might also have been lying. Uh, I think he was. But we have to consider what he said as a possibility. 
Uh, a lot of people, including me, think he did what he did because he was a angry, closeted homosexual and his uh, self-hate drove him to target uh, a gay nightclub. There's a lot of evidence for that. His father later said that a few months before the attack, his son uh, had seen two grown men kissing and just became like wildly infuriated. An unnamed police academy classmate said Mateen asked him out around 2006, that they spent time at gay bars together after class, that he believed Mateen was definitely gay. The man who self-identified as Mateen's lover of two months, Miguel, or Miguel, my God, I do want it every time. I can't, Miguel is my nemesis word, name. I apologize to all the Miguels out there. But I, I did correct myself immediately but it's never going to go away. Uh, <laughs> uh, Miguel stated that he, uh, I, should, I should almost do it just to anger people. Miguel, uh, no, Miguel stated that he believed the massacre was out of uh, revenge against Latino men when Mateen learned he may have been exposed to HIV from a Puerto Rican man, or Puerto Rican man with whom he had sex with. Uh, Mateen's ex-wife claimed that his father called him gay while in her presence. Speaking on her behalf, her current fiance said that she, his family, numerous others believed he was gay. Numerous other men came forward saying that he'd either asked them out or that Mateen had sexual relationships with them. Uh, he'd used a variety of gay dating apps like Grindr. Despite all this motive for either retaliation or a hatred of himself slash homosexuals, rumors abounded that the attack was part of some deep state Illuminati false flag bullshit involving, you know, crisis actors, etc. Uh, and with even less possible plausible motives known for Stephen Paddock's mass shooting, you know, terms like deep state false flag crisis actors swirled around with much more intensity. And no one pushed more conspiratorial possibilities uh, when it came to this attack than Alex Jones. In a 2016 telecast on Jones's show, InfoWars, he would say about Paddock, they found Antifa information in the room. The whole thing has the hallmarks of being scripted by deep state Democrats and their Islamic allies using mental patient cutouts. Um, fucking what? Mental patient cutouts? It's, it's fucking depressing how successful Alec Jones has been uh, considering he's either really crazy, really fucking stupid, uh, really manipulatively, uh, manipulatively evil or all three. I, I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't mind tying Alex Jones, Nancy Grace, and to some other people with big audiences who spread, you know, speculation and or lies as uh, how could anyone not believe this indisputable fact and then just toss them all off the side of a boat in some deep cold water. You want to speculate that there are deep state Democrats using mental patient cutouts behind something. Uh, okay, fine. I mean, I think that even entertaining an idea that fucking stupid makes you and everyone who finds you credible look like ass clowns, but okay, speculate about whatever you want. It's good to discuss things from different viewpoints, even when those viewpoints are fucking absurdly insane uh, when trying to solve mysteries. You know, it's good to have discourse and learn from each other. But when you say that they found evidence of Antifa in his room, things like that, that has all the hallmarks of deep state attack. Fuck you. They never, they never found evidence of Antifa. It never had hallmarks of some deep state attack. Think about how crazy this belief is, right? Just use your capable of logical deduction brain for a few minutes to create the scene, right? Let's, uh, let's imagine the scene that Alex is presenting as being obviously factual. The Las Vegas Strip is busy. Very, very busy. Almost always. Certainly when this concert went down, uh, it was packed, Right, uh, I've been there many times, uh, 22,000 at the concert plus, even if they were all crisis actors, tens of thousands of others in the immediate area, wandering around, you know, doing their other gambling and whatnot, going to shows. And Jones is saying that on the Vegas Strip, people seen fleeing from shots or having been shot in photos released in the days following the shooting. And I've seen a lot of these photos uh, and videos. It's terrible. Uh, they're what, mental, mental patient cutouts? Like, like, like they did a photo shoot before October 1st, uh, then a big group. I guess just planted a bunch of cardboard cutouts 
around the concert ground so they could do like a photo shoot. Then in this uh, scripted event to make videos from the attack look legit, uh, deep state Democrats hired crisis actors, I guess, to run around just pretending to hear gunshots, you know, in the videos I've seen. I guess Jason Aldean and his band, I mean, they had to have been in on it too. All the other country acts that performed that day, right? All acting. Because otherwise they'd be like, hey, what the fuck are these cardboard cutouts? Doing it. There should be an audience here. Why is it cardboard cutouts? Uh, thousands of people who were near the concert based on video evidence. I, I guess they were all in on it since no one came forward and talked about how it was all fake. Uh, everyone in the hotels, numerous hotels around them, thousands of windows, you know, uh, where, where tens of thousands of guests were staying. They could just look down and see the concert. I mean, they were all in on it. Uh, concert promoter Live Nation, also in on it. They all worked together. Like this was some massive, well-cast Hollywood blockbuster production. And they've all kept it a secret ever since. They've kept the FBI or the police from uncovering the secret or the Vegas police and the FBI also part of this production, right? Deep state. They're in on it. Uh, all of them. No officers or agents have come forward to rat, them, to rat them out. And well, hopefully you get how fucking crazy this is, right? How can you explain believing in something like that other than you either haven't thought about it much or you're just not smart in some ways, like at all. Some fans of Alex Jones, after hearing shit like this, would harass the victims of the shooting while they were in the fucking hospital recovering from bullet wounds. People posted horrible shit on their social media feeds about how they were making it all up. Stop it, you deep state crisis actors. You have to be stupid or crazy or just a real piece of shit to do that. My God. Before we learn more about Alex Jones, uh, now, since he benefited greatly from pouring gas and conspiracy fire, he set regarding the shooting, probably should define three terms that I'll use a lot and have already used several times that relate to the conspiracies around the Las Vegas shooting, right? Starting with the deep state. The deep state is a type of governance made up of potentially secret and unauthorized networks of power operating independently of a state's political leadership in pursuit of their own agenda and goals. In popular usage, the term carries overwhelmingly negative connotations. Uh, journalist David Rode wrote a book about this term uh, and how it evolved called In Deep, the FBI, the CIA, and the truth about America's quote-unquote deep state. David says the term originally showed up uh, in the nation of Turkey a few decades ago, referencing their military using plainclothes operatives to infiltrate certain revolutionary circles in an effort to squash out people with actual democratic ideals who didn't want to live in a you know fake dictatorship, a, uh, or a fake democracy, excuse me, a dictatorship pretending to be a democracy. Then the term next showed up in Egypt, applied to their military, doing basically the same thing there. Uh, the term seemed to have first showed up in the U.S. in 2007 in a book called The Road to 9-11, Wealth, Empire, and the Future of America, written by a University of California Berkeley professor named Peter Dale Scott, uh, who used it to describe the U.S. military-industrial complex. Defined as a country's military establishment and those industries producing arms uh, or other military materials regarded as a powerful vested interest. And back in 2007, it was used by liberals to describe a group of powerful conservatives like military contractors such as Halliburton, working with, you know, uh, other powerful conservatives in the White House on Capitol Hill and the Pentagon to wage war under false pretenses to make lots and lots of money, you know, see 9-11 conspiracies. And then since 2007, it has evolved to be used to describe some sort of vague, nefarious liberal agenda. Right, some kind of shadow, Illuminati, satanic government, maybe lizards, uh, run by liberals who want to destroy conservatives and who just hate freedom and hate everything, you know, good. Uh, pretty funny that the term evolved from being a term used to describe actual shadowy government forces in Europe and Africa to being a term used by the left to slander the right to then being a term used by the right to slander the left. 
And with each usage uh, and its evolution, it seems to get a little more grandiose and a little bit more absurd. Now the deep state equals a nefarious puppet master shadow government, uh, very X-Files, smoking man, uh, you know, kind of bullshit. Lizard people, secret league of Zionists, Jewish bankers, Rockefellers, everyone puts their own, you know, spin on it. Second term is false flag uh, or false flag operation. And a false flag operation is a hostile or harmful action, such as an attack that is designed to look as it was uh, as if it was uh, perpetrated by someone other than the person or group actually responsible for it. And there have for sure been very real false flag operations that have happened throughout history. Uh, we've touched on several and various sucks. Uh, one of the best known historical examples of a false flag operation, a real one, was mounted by Nazi Germany in 1939 as justification for kicking off World War II. The Gestapo staged a Polish raid on a German broadcasting tower at Gliwice in current day Poland. Nazis left behind a deadly saboteur, in reality, a German farmer with Polish sympathies who'd been shot by the Gestapo, as well as several dead Germans who in reality were concentration camp prisoners killed and dressed as German guards, uh, says David Silby, a Cornell University historian. Uh, Silby said Hitler used these incidents to justify the invasion of Poland. Another example was the uh, Mugden incident of 1931, in which the Japanese army blew up a section of railway line in northern China to justify its invasion of Manchuria. And in 1939, the Soviet village near the border with Finland was involved in a false flag operation with Soviets firing on their own border post as a pretext for invading Finland. Uh, Credible historians don't seem to think that operations like these have happened, you know, very often at all. But people who are very conspiratorially uh, minded, they think it happens all the time. It's constantly happening. And with the 2017 Las Vegas shooting, conspiracists claimed it was a false flag operation carried out with the goal of gun seizures. Guns are dangerous, uh, so we must make them illegal and confiscate them, uh, saith the deep state Illuminati. But that didn't happen. Uh, The most infamous example of a false flag operation in U.S. history, uh, this verified anyway, is Operation Northwoods. And we examined that in Suck 52 on 9-11 conspiracies uh, and again in Suck 175 declassified military, uh, you know, uh, docs. This plan proposed in 1962 by the U.S. military uh, to kill Americans and or what it was, it was proposed by the U.S. military in 1962, and it was a plan to kill Americans and blame the attack on Cuba's Fidel Castro, thereby offering a reason to invade and depose the Cuban dictator. The civilian leadership in the Kennedy administration rejected the proposal before it could be carried out, and then it was declassified four decades later. Obviously super fucked up that it was even proposed, but it doesn't lead me straight into worrying about a nefarious deep state. I mean, they were spitballing, and a couple dudes, you know, they took shit a little far. I mean, if I was spitballing and trying to come up with good reasons to attack communist Cuba... Who the fuck knows what kind of crazy shit I might propose? Uh, have we considered nuking the island until there's nothing left but rocks and roaches? Uh, let it cool off for 20, 30 years. Maybe send some prisoners down there. After a decade, if they don't have three eyeballs, uh, we open up for resettlement. We make it the 51st state and the best one for beaches. Uh, Dan, there's a lot of women and children down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm just spitballing. Just throwing out ideas. Uh, back, back to the drawing board. I got you. Uh, again, Northwood's disturbing for sure. But common, easy to carry out? I don't think so. And again, it didn't happen. It wasn't carried out, you know, and a quick go-to now, but it's a quick go-to now for conspiracists because it's hard to prove any random, random tragedy is not a false flag operation. Okay. Finally, there is uh, crisis actors and these people are, supposed people are integral to or integral to, you know, uh, false flag operations. A crisis actor is Nicolas Cage in 80% of his movies. It's a great actor who signed on for a terrible project because he's always having money problems and he's always in crisis. Of course not. No, a crisis actor is a person who takes part in a supposed conspiracy to manipulate public opinion by pretending to be a victim of an event such as a bombing, mass shooting, or natural disaster. 
Unlike a false flag operation, there is literally no proof that crisis actors have been used ever, at least not in the U.S., at least not by that name. Conspiracy theorists' use of this term is thought to have originated in 2012 when a blog post by former Florida Atlantic University communications professor and professional conspiracy theorist, uh, fucking legit weirdo, James Tracy suggested that the government could be uh, have hired a acting agency named Vision Box to help stage the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. Tracy was then fired by Florida Atlantic for contacting Lenny Posner, father of one of the children killed in the Sandy Hook shooting, uh, and de- demanding that this guy show him his son's death certificate. So, you know, fuck James Tracy. I uh, would like to throw him off the same boat that I want to throw Nancy Grace and Alex Jones off of. Tracy thinks that the Boston Marathon bombing never happened. Uh, a bunch of crisis actors there. Uh, that Basically, all mass shootings are fake. Deep state false flag operations riddled with crisis actors. Weird. Uh, some of those crisis actors have actually written into Time Suck over the years. Uh, I actually met a crisis actor in Seattle at one of my stand-up shows shortly after the Las Vegas shooting. Uh, she hugged me. She cried and everything. She seemed to be suffering from PTSD based on what she witnessed. I'm sorry. I mean, based on what she was trained to say by the deep state she had witnessed. Uh, she was a very good actor. Very convincing. Conspiratorially, I do understand the attraction of crisis actors. Right? I see how the concept fits nicely in with the deep state and the false flags and the mass shootings. Right? The deep state wants to take away our guns so they can enslave us. And then... I don't know, harvest our kids adrenochrome or some shit so they can live longer and, I don't know, molest more kids for, I don't know, to make Satan happy or maybe sacrifice us to their reptilian overlords or maybe have us work in monoatomic gold mines for the lizard people, whatever they want to do to us. It's always a little vague and confusing. You know, getting our guns helps them do that, which I get, right? I see where they're coming from there. And then in order to have us, you know, vote away our own gun rights, they got to scare us with false flag operations like mass shootings, Okay, all right. I still see some logic. Uh, false flag operations, you know, could make the transition to us living in FEMA cages or being shipped to some Area 51 alien death labs a little smoother. Fine. But then the notion of crisis actors, well, that's pretty hard to get behind, right? Using local actors to pull off something like convincing the world uh, that a mass shooting has happened. I just, I don't see it. Here's the thing. Have you ever watched local commercials or gone to a community theater production? Are some of the actors good? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Or a lot of them good. Oh, man, fuck no. Uh, do they seem like they have the chops, the acting chops, to pull off something of this magnitude? No, oh, hard no. Hard no. Uh, the deep state ha- has to give, right, them backstories that are going to be hard to pull off long term. Like in the Sandy Hook shooting, you know, how do they get so many people to corroborate the lie that the, the parents, um, you know, who, who lost their kids actually had those kids before and raised them their whole lives? I mean, think about that. I mean, they got to, they got to like fudge. I do a lot of Photoshopping, I guess. And then when people do interviews later with other family members, they got to get them on the story or, um, I mean, I mean, these kids are, they're in, they're in, uh, Facebook feeds, you know, with family members, uh, they're in class photographs. How, how is all of that faked to so many people? Uh, all their fake extended family members, right? Have to hold up the lie. The fake parents, their fake friends who had, they had fake sleepovers with, they got to lie. Fake little league coaches who fake coached them for several fake seasons, all their fake teammates, I mean, it just keeps unraveling. Think about all the fake friends and fake family members of the, the fake Las Vegas shooting victims it would take to pull off some kind of crisis actor operation. I mean, if you just think about all of this just a little bit, I, I think you can only keep genuinely believing it if, you know, again, and I don't know how else to say this, you're, maybe you're stupid or fucking crazy or both. Like, what, do you, what are you fucking doing with your brain? How, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm amazed you can figure out how to use a podcast. 
and also think that. That's how crazy I think it is. It's very depressing how so many people can just uh, um, seem incapable of just completing that simple mental exercise I just laid out. Right, All of us living in some kind of simulation for me is way easier to accept logic-wise than deep state plus false flag plus crisis actor bullshit for just almost any scenario. The simulation being manipulated by uh, some you know in-game deep state, okay, fine, right? All bets are off if we're living in some fucking advanced version of Sims. But this, this nonsense, come on. Please use your brain. It defies so much logic. Uh, Alex Jones, big crisis actor guy. Uh, he played a huge role in popularizing conspiracies around the Las Vegas shooting. Uh, all this stuff. Deep state, false flag, crisis actor bullshit. He, he loves it. And then two other idiots we'll learn about in today's timeline. Brad Johnson, Rich Higgins. Well, they'll take Jones's theories, run with him further, uh, implicating another man as being part of this deep state plot who was just some random fucking dude in Vegas for the weekend, and they'll turn his life into a living nightmare. Uh, you know, to be randomly slandered by conspiracy nuts for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. What a strange way for your life to take a turn for the worse. Anyway, the 2017 shooting was not Alex Jones's uh, first rodeo when it came to spreading misinformation about a massive tragedy. That fake-ass truther had already been profiting uh, off of spreading lies about tragedies for years. Yeah, I'm, clearly, I'm really not a big fan of this guy. Uh, back when a young Alex Jones was in community college in Austin, Texas in 1995, he first started accusing the government of being behind the Oklahoma City bombing on public access channels in Austin. False flag operation, right? He liked the response his anger got, right? He started building his brand. Uh, we covered that bombing in episode 181 of Time Suck. And in 1999, Alex Jones founded InfoWars. Uh, Wikipedia defines it as an American far-right conspiracy theory and fake news website. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's like the nice way to describe it. Fake as fuck news. Uh, lies peddled uh, to so-called truthers, right, who have their eyes open, seeing what the rest of us can't. It's very depressing. Uh, these days, the InfoWars website receives approximately 10 million monthly visits making its reach greater than some mainstream news websites, such as The Economist and uh, Newsweek. Jones getting kicked off of YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even Apple the past couple of years. Uh, it seems to have been good for his anti-establishment. I'm so honest, I'm dangerous brand. They're afraid of how much truth I've got. You know, he's gotten a lot of press out of all that bullshit. Uh, while Jones has stated, I'm not a business guy, I'm a revolutionary, which fucking, again, I want to fucking throw him off the boat. Uh, he is a business guy. In some ways, at least, uh, he's a very good business guy. Very smart. I want him to be dumb, but uh, I don't think it's that. I think he's just very conniving. I think he's very manipulative. Faking bravery to make lots and lots of money. He's, uh, he's a fucking clown. He spends much of his InfoWars airtime pitching dietary supplements and survivalist products. Right, Bring him in with tragedy. Sell him some vitamins. Uh, looking at his products, doing this research, uh, you can buy some Brain Force Plus right now. One of his top selling items he's had for, for many years. Uh, here's the opening line. Oh my gosh, for this product description. It's, it's, it's so infuriating. This is like, this is one of his top selling products. He's made millions off of this. And this is the opening line of its product description. Top scientists and researchers agree. We are being hit by toxic weapons in the food and water supply that are making us fat, sick, and stupid. That sounds like some shit that I would make up for one of my fake ads. How does this shit work? Top scientists, you guys, they agree. The word being hit by toxic weapons make us fat, sick, and stupid. Mm -hmm. That sounds exactly like something that top scientists say. If by top scientists, you mean fucking Dr. Steve Brule from Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great job. It's, it's so dumb. And he has a massive audience that eats his shit up. It's fucking painful. Uh, by 2013, uh, Alex Seitzwald of Salon estimated that Jones was earning as much as $10 million a year. 
uh, between subscriptions, web and radio advertising, and sales of DVDs, T-shirts, and, you know, a lot of vitamins. Um, well, I guess it wasn't quite vitamins yet. Uh, he, he, he would get into it right after that. Uh, that year, Jones changed his business model to incorporate selling proprietary dietary supplements. And in 2014, Jones claimed that InfoWars were accumulating over $20 million in annual revenue. Over $20 million! Fun fact, uh, a significant portion of InfoWars products contain colloidal silver, which Jones claims uh, kills every virus, including the whole SARS corona family. And that is for sure not true. That is not true. This has been aggressively disputed by the FDA and so many medical organizations. Uh, Colloidal silver is fucking snake oil. We have mocked it for a couple of years on a variety of episodes of The Secret Suck on Patreon. Here's what the Mayo Clinic Uh, which has been one of the, uh, if not the top hospital in the country for many, many years. Here's what it has to say about colloidal silver. Supplements containing colloidal silver aren't considered safe or effective for any of the health claims manufacturers make. I like that. Just straight out of the box. None of it. Silver has no known purpose in the body. It's not an essential mineral. Colloidal silver products are made of tiny silver particles suspended in a liquid, the same type of metal used in jewelry, dental fillings, and silverware. I feel like this is like the snarkiest the Mayo Clinic gets. Manufacturers of colloidal silver supplements often promote their products by claiming that silver can boost the immune system, fight infection, and treat cancer. Yep, it's so fucking sad. People dying of cancer taking this shit. However, no sound scientific studies evaluating these uh, health claims have been published in reputable medical journals. In the U.S., the Food and Drug Administration and the Federal Trade Commission have taken action against several companies for making unproven health claims you know, regarding colloidal silver. When taken by mouth, silver builds up in your body over months to years. This can result in a blue-gray discoloration of your skin, eyes, internal organs, nails, and gums. Fuck yeah, bro. So colloidal silver, very good to take if you're looking to have blue-gray skin and you want some sexy-ass blue-gray internal organs and eyeballs, but not very good if you want to cure literally anything at all. Eating dirt or gravel or or drinking some kind of smoothie made up out of a a ground-up carpet and old uh, G.I. Joe action figures and aluminum cans, and pencil shavings. It will provide you with roughly the same health benefits as colloidal silver. Whipple! Uh, Probably better for you than colloidal silver. So how has Alex Jones built this uh, big audience of people willing to buy shit like colloidal silver? By ranting nonstop about everything from the New World Order, uh, turning Americans into sheep, to the truth behind the moon landing being faked, to the Illuminati chemtrailing us, uh, 9-11 being an inside job, false flag operation, and so much more. He was one of the idiots who uh, pumped up belief in Pizzagate. I covered that in episode 64 and was shocked that I got a lot of angry emails blown away that people could believe in such a, this is so fucking stupid. It makes my head hurt conspiracy on December 4th, 2016, a man named Edgar Madison Welsh, Welch, I guess, instead of Welsh, uh, drove from North Carolina to Washington, DC armed with an AR 15 to rescue children. He was convinced were being held captive as part of a sex ring in the basement of Comet pizza. When he found no children, and realized the pizza place doesn't even have a fucking basement. Welch 28 surrendered uh, to police and told them he thought Hillary Clinton and former President Clinton Chief of Staff and Hillary Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta were running some kind of satanic pedophile ring. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. You can't stand Hillary? Okay, fine. But why leap to the insane conclusion that she's running a massive pedophile ring? Especially in America, where it'd be so much easier to get caught than if she did in some third world country. It just... It doesn't even come close to making sense. And I'm, not, and I'm not the president of her fan club. I don't fucking care about Hillary Clinton. Uh, I don't like most career politicians. I also just don't assume that the ones I really don't like are in pedophile rings. It's so weird. 
Uh, the Pizzagate conspiracy all started back in October of 2016 uh, when WikiLeaks began publishing leaked emails from the Clinton campaign director and social media users began to theorize they contained food-related code words such as cheese, pizza, hello, that actually means child pornography. C stands for cheese. C stands for child. P stands for pizza. P stands for pornography. Bingo, bango! They got a satanic pedophile ring. Uh, December 2016, Jones posted a video saying he had zero fear of standing up to Clinton, even though he knew that she had definitely personally murdered children, even though he knew she was a demon from hell who smelled of sulfur. He's actually said shit like that. He's that insane. Uh, using the hashtag, uh, you know, Pizzagate, he pushed the notion that Podesta had dined at Comet Pizza because it was, you know, the headquarters of an underground pedophile ring. And that also doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, like, why are you going to have pizza there? If you're running an international pedophile ring and you got a bunch of kids in cages and you don't want to draw attention to yourself, you don't want to get caught for having all these kids in cages. Fucking eat anywhere but that place. Like, why are you then just casually upstairs? Being like, hmm, I might as well enjoy some, uh, you know, pepperoni pizza while I'm here. Uh, you know, kids can wait 20 minutes. Uh, December 4th, 2016, Alex Jones uploaded a YouTube video that linked Pizzagate to the November 13th death of a sex worker rights activist. He asserted was trying to save kids from being sexually tortured and killed after being sex trafficked from Haiti, you know, by the Clintons. They're very busy with all the kids. And he got Edgar Madison Welch so fucking worked up. He almost killed a bunch of people who were just trying to enjoy some pizza slices. Jones had taken to the air and said, Pizzagate is real. And he urged his listeners to go investigate it for yourself. Right in his Jones way. Go investigate it for yourself. Or Pizzagate is real. Hillary Clinton throws up sulfur. Like his fucking head's always about to explode when he talks. How's that guy not died of a heart attack yet? Uh, Welch, a faithful InfoWars listener who often shared the website articles, took him up on that. And then that weasel, Jones, retracted all the Pizzagate shit in early 2017 to avoid being prosecuted for libel. The whole Pizzagate didn't pan out for Jones business-wise. He looked like an ass. When he backtracked on it all. But a mass shooting where 20 little kids died back in 2012 would get InfoWars a ton of ratings, right? Shootings have been some of InfoWars' biggest hits, which makes sense in a sick, fucked up way. Uh, without a clear motivation on the part of the shooter, Jones and his employees are free to step up and claim anything they want. With Paddock, you know, they'll say he's everything from a member of ISIS, deep state employee, leftist plant, member of Antifa, on and on and on. Uh, InfoWars learned how to milk money out of mass shootings back with Sandy Hook. On December 14th, 2012, 20-year-old Adam Lanza fatally shot his mom at their new uh, new town, excuse me, Connecticut home before going to Sandy Hook Elementary, uh, the elementary school, killing 20 first graders and six teachers, then killed himself as police arrived on the scene. Why did Adam do it? Well, for one thing, he was clearly mentally ill. Like do an image search for him. I mean, I can tell something was very, very wrong with him in literally every picture I can find, like truly photogenically insane. Uh, he was diagnosed with Asperger's at age 13, but after his death, doctors speculated he had a lot more going on. He was uh, very likely psychotic, suffering from paranoid schizophrenia in all likelihood, amongst other serious disorders. Uh, he did shit like contribute frequently before the shooting to a forum called Shocked Beyond Belief that focused specifically on mass murders and mass murderers. Right, he was uh, very into that thing. Uh, maybe, maybe that's a bit of an indicator as to why he did what he did, you know. And I could go on and on with more evidence for his motives, but this episode is not about Sandy Hook. Should probably suck that sad, sad topic someday, though. Alex Jones did not share the information about Adam with his audience that I just shared with you. Of course not. Real information doesn't play well to the Infowars audience. Uh, they want big blockbuster deep state conspiracies, right? That's just way more exciting 
You know, if you have a junior high intellectual level and truly think that life is some kind of fucking Michael Bay movie. And Alex gives that shit to his audience. Jones portrayed the shooting as a hoax on Infowars involving crisis actors, a false flag operation aimed at increasing gun control. He said the parents of the murdered first graders, six and seven year olds who were fucking murdered by a psychopath were paid crisis actors. That's an evil thing to do. And he, and he would beat that evil drum for years. Uh, he said on his November 18th, 2016 broadcast, I watched a lot of soap operas and I've, and I've seen actors before. And I know when I'm watching a movie and when I'm watching something real, come on, everybody. Uh, Jones total profit that day, $103,513. So much money in lies. If you tell the right ones, uh, you make so much money. If you just don't have any morals at all. Uh, meanwhile, people who believed those false claims accosted members of these poor families in the fucking street. They heckled, they harassed them at events, honoring their slain children, abused them online, contacted them at their homes, threatened their lives. The parents of Noah Posner, the youngest Sandy Hook victim, whose parents were the first to sue Mr. Jones, uh, moved. they've moved nearly 10 times since the shooting and live in hiding currently, mainly due to being harassed by conspiracy fucks uh, who follow fuckheads like Alex Jones. And I guess who have nothing better to do than just harass, you know, people like this. Uh, Noah's mother, uh, Veronica De La Rosa, doesn't even feel like she's safe to go visit her son's grave. So good job, Alex. Way to be a big, brave, you know, truther. Way, way to courageously fight for justice. Uh, in March of 2018, six families of victims of the shooting, as well as an FBI agent who responded to the attack, filed a defamation lawsuit against Jones for his role in spreading conspiracy theories about the shooting. Uh, in Connecticut, a judge would rule in November 2021 that Jones was liable. So that's good. Of course, Alex has said he's going to appeal. Obviously, I hope he loses. Uh, I doubt he will lose uh, enough money, though, to make him go away. He's made a lot of money. He supposedly raked in $165 million from InfoWars in the period just between 2015 and 2018. The Las Vegas shooting in October of 2017 would fall smack dab in the middle of that very, very lucrative period for him. On Monday, October 2nd, 2017, less than 24 hours after the shooting, Jones was already alleging some crazy stuff about what happened on the strip. He said, this is the kind of stuff he says when people buy it. Ah, it makes my head want to explode. It's the 100-year anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution and the literal grandchildren of the folks that financed the Bolshevik Revolution uh, out of New York and London are now bragging and saying Bolshevik 2 is launching. On Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, they released OJ just 20 hours before the attack took place so all the media would come and be in place to cover this event. What the fuck? No Bolshevik grandchildren were saying that in 2017. He literally just made that up. He pulled that out of his ass. And I say that as someone who fucking hates communism. I would rather be dead than be communist. Uh, Bojangles actually just told me that he would rather have me dead than have me be a uh, communist as well, which I, I think it was supposed to be comforting. Uh, he's not great at expressing emotions. But seriously, this is nonsense. What the fuck does OJ, OJ Simpson have to do with any of this? Literally nothing. Bringing the media to Vegas? He wasn't that big of a story in 2017. This isn't mid-90s OJ. Uh, what Jones was doing here, this is classic lunatic in their basement war room connecting unrelated events uh, with thumbtacks and string behavior, right? The words of a maniac, stringing together connections that do not exist, then standing back and just going, aha, it makes sense now. OJ, Bolsheviks, the juice is loose. The juice is loose in Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Viva la revolution. The Bolshevik revolution. Country music equals America. Freedom. Paddock was shooting freedom. Communist signal to kick off Bolshevik too. The communist juice is on the loose. Jesus Christ. In addition to Jones, an untold number of other lesser known conspiracy theorists, right? Start parroting his fucking nonsense to their audiences. 
because they're idiots, uh, or putting their own, you know, just a stupid twist on all this garbage. Well, Jones and uh, some Jones clones, oh, the Jones clones were selling conspiracy nonsense to, uh, you know, their uh, very fucking smart audiences. Uh, media pundits, you know, they're playing to the rating bases, making sure everyone knows where they stand on gun control. Uh, now in the media for a number of years, gun control again reared his ugly head when it was discovered that Stephen Paddock owned upwards of 50 guns, including semi-automatic machine guns, uh, semi-automatic rifles, some people call machine guns, outfitted with something called a bump stock, a special piece of technology aimed to make semi-autos uh, shoot kind of like an automatic gun. And, uh, and I got some help to describe what a bump stock is too. Uh, Space Lizard, an active Air Force member, Alan Neva, actually gave me a, a better definition of how uh, a bump stock operates than anything I could find online. Uh, he's a certified firearms instructor, chief range officer, knows his shit. He's been shooting in competitions for a dozen years. Here's what Alan, who sent me a bunch of links in this email, uh, says. A falsehood is that a bump stock or slide fire device turns any gun into a machine gun. A machine gun is any weapon which shoots, is designed to shoot, or can be readily restored to shoot automatically more than one shot without manual reloading by a single function of the trigger. A bump stock is an accessory that consists of a stock and pistol grip that allows the rest of the firearm receiver, including the trigger, to slide back and forth independent of the stock and pistol grip. To use this slide fire capability is a very weird combination of pulling the pistol grip toward yourself while simultaneously pushing forward just right in the forearm of the rifle. When you press and hold the trigger to the rear, the recoil moves the firearm receiver and the trigger rearward. This motion resets the disconnector of the trigger. The disconnector is the device in the trigger assembly that prevents full auto fire. Since you are pushing forward on the forearm, subsequent shots happen at a rapid rate faster than most people can manually pull a trigger. Since the trigger is actually being pressed once for every shot, fired, a bump stock does not meet the legal definition of a machine gun. I can shoot any rifle I have in a bump fire mode without any kind of slide fire device. You can just use a belt loop or mimic the same motion, just firing from the shoulder. So thank you, Alan. Uh, 12 of Paddock's high-powered rifles were modified to be capable of unleashing nine rounds per second, right, with these bump stocks. Uh, the military-grade rounds he used, fired from special large-capacity magazines, produced so much gun smoke, they actually set off the smoke detectors in his suite. Uh, in the days after the shooting, anti-gun control outlets slammed Hillary Clinton, other National Rifle Association opponents for calling uh, for stricter gun safety laws. Former Trump chief, uh, sta- or, uh, sorry, bleh, former Trump chief strategist. Stephen Bannon's Breitbart News, for one, ran a story with the homepage tease of mass gun control hysteria breaks out. Bump stocks would take center stage, you know, after the Las Vegas shooting. And we'll dig a little bit more into into that in the timeline. But first, let's meet Stephen Paddock. All right, he planned his massacre meticulously. After arriving at the Mandalay Bay on September 28th, he set about building his bunker. Over the course of three days, he ferried 24 guns, two tripods, hundreds of rounds of ammo up to his room, one or two bags at a time. Below in his car, he had bags of ammunition, or excuse me, bags of ammonium nitrate, which can be used to make a powerful explosive. Uh, The elevators to his car bypassed the lobby, so it was easy for him not to be seen as he carried out his plans. And no one bothered him until his massacre was in progress. He had rigged video cameras in the hallway to give him a warning when police approached, so you know he knew when they'd be coming. Uh, As law enforcement closed in, he put a handgun in his mouth, pulled a trigger for the last time, ending his life, a life people would take uh, a lot more interest in after it was over, than when he was living it. Everyone now wondered who was capable of doing something like that. Why would they? Who was Stephen Paddock? So let's give over, let's go through a little quick biography of him now. Uh, this part really isn't worthy of the timeline because, well, we just don't know enough about him. Uh, I checked thoroughly. No one has written a, a decent biography, right? Anything that's worth a, a shit at the time of this recording. 
So just a lot of various articles with just like, you know, little snippets from the few people willing to talk about him. On April 9th, 1953, the man who would later become known as the Las Vegas shooter was born in Clinton, Iowa. Clinton, a town of roughly 25,000, less than 40 miles north of Davenport. It's the county seat of Clinton County. Uh, it lies along the Mississippi River and is named, obviously, after Hillary Clinton. Come on, they're taunting us. Hiding in plain sight. No, actually, the original uh, settler. Uh, Joseph M. Bartlett operated a trading store for local Native Americans in the 1830s. And in 1836, named the site New York. Then the Iowa Land Company purchased the town site in 1855 and was like, this is fucking not New York. Come on, what are you doing? Get, get the fuck out of here. Uh, renamed it for DeWitt Clinton, former governor of New York. Clinton was uh, one of the largest sawmill centers in the country in the second half of the 19th century. But then that dropped off when the area's lumber supply diminished. These days, manufacturing mostly paper, plastics, chemical products, and agriculture are the economic mainstays of the area. Uh, Steve would not live there for long. At some point early in his childhood, his family moved uh, first to Tucson, Arizona, and then to the Sun Valley neighborhood of Los Angeles. Los Angeles! Uh, Sun Valley is uh, just north of North Hollywood and Van Nuys, also bordered to the south and east by Burbank. Uh, Sun Valley's most notable former resident, according to Wikipedia, former adult film star Amber Rain. Uh, that part of the San Fernando Valley is the porn capital of the world. Uh, pretty sure that Stephen Paddock had nothing to do with porn, though. He definitely, if you look him up in pictures, he doesn't give off a, doesn't give off a strong porn vibe. But actually, I don't want to nod to it. There is, he was into porn, and he was into some, some real bad stuff. That'll come up later. Uh, Steve was the oldest of his parents' four sons. So who were his parents? His mom was Irene Hudson. His dad was Benjamin Paddock. The couple had wed in Reno in 1952. Seems they met in Chicago not long before they wed, and we all, we know almost nothing about his mom, Dolores. Uh, uh, and I'm sorry, she would go, she'd be known as Dolores later, so I, Irene Dolores. That'll make sense here in a little bit. Uh, we know that Stephen's dad, Benjamin, was a bank robber. That surprised me. Also surprised me that we can find out more details about, uh, you know, uh, parts of Benjamin's life than we can about his son, Stephen's. 1960, when Stephen Paddock was just seven years old, FBI agents showed up at his family's tidy white ranch house in the hills outside of Tucson. Stunning the neighbors, stunning the local sheriff. No one could fathom that the man they knew as Pat Paddock, big jolly father of four young boys, owned a, saw, a small business in town and was uh, a special deputy at the sheriff's office, was really Benjamin Hoskins Paddock, a serial bank robber with a rap sheet that stretched back to Chicago. Benjamin Hoskins Paddock, born in Sheboygan, Wisconsin in 1926, served in the Navy during World War II, and in 1946 was imprisoned in Chicago for stealing cars and running some kind of uh, con game. The details don't seem to be available of what con game he was running. Uh, he was out in time to marry Dolores in Reno, 1952, and to father Stephen before being imprisoned again in 1953 for writing bad checks. When Benjamin got back out in 1956, Dolores was waiting for him. Now the Paddocks moved to Arizona, where Stephen's parents start going by different names. Benjamin becomes Patrick. His wife, Irene, uh, becomes Dolores, which was actually her middle name. Living on a quiet street, they seem to be model uh, mid-century, you know, uh, a model mid-century family. Neighbors remember them as being kind, attentive, you know, parents to their son, uh, clean house. Uh, they have three more boys very quickly. Stephen remembered as being a, a helpful boy, quiet kid, good kid. It's kind of some vague descriptive terms there. His dad, Benjamin, sold garbage disposals, very specific, during the week, volunteered for the local search and rescue team, counseled wayward youths in his spare time. Uh, in town, Benjamin was active in a shortwave radio club, Managed with a newspaper called uh, a younger set nightclub called Big Daddy's. He was Big Daddy. No evidence. He was a handsy pedo Arthur Shawcross. Uh, daddy guy, Big Daddy type. 
Might've been a pretty good guy, big daddy guy. Might've been a naughty daddy guy, uh, you know, big daddy. Based on some stuff that'll come out uh, with his uh, kids many years later. Uh, he was definitely pretty good at robbing banks. Over an 18 month span in 1959 and 1960, Benjamin Paddock hit two branches of the Valley National Bank in Phoenix. Uh, made off with uh, over $25,000. Uh, he actually hit one of those branches twice. Each time he showed the teller a snub-nosed revolver tucked in his belt and then would flee in a stolen car that, he'd aban- that he would abandon a few blocks away and then switch over to the family's new Pontiac station wagon. Uh, when the I love that he's driving home in a station wagon after Robin Banks. When the FBI finally caught up with him at a gas station in downtown Vegas, uh, he tried to flee, nearly running over one agent before another fired a bullet through his windshield, and then he surrendered unharmed. Interesting that his dad was shot at right in Vegas uh, many years earlier. 1960, while federal agents were rifling through bedrooms and closets in his Tucson home, a neighbor took Stephen to the neighborhood swimming pool. Uh, he was the only kid uh, old enough to realize what was going on. The three other paddock boys, still too young to understand what was happening. According to a family friend who would talk about it later, the boys were told that their dad was dead and also that he'd been a mechanic. Uh, that lie, the lie went that he had, you know, had an accident working in the garage on a car. Benjamin Paddock was convicted of bank robbery in 1961, sentenced to 20 years in prison. Uh, he would not serve that full sentence. He escaped from the Latuna Federal Penitentiary in Texas on New Year's Eve, 1968, made his way to San Francisco, robbed another bank. 1969, the FBI puts him on the most wanted list, describing him as, this is a very interesting description, describing him as six feet, four inches tall, 245 pounds, has been diagnosed as being psycho, it's just like, it must be an old-timey term for psychotic, psychopathic, with possible suicidal tendencies. He should be considered armed and very dangerous, the poster read, adding, and this is the weird part, he's also an avid bridge player. Watch out for this guy! He's armed! Dangerous, crazy, and not done. Very good at playing bridge. Uh, that's funny to me because my main association with bridge is my grandma Betty. Uh, she's in her 80s. It's pretty cute. She and several several friends, you know, they've kind of rotated over the years. Sadly, you know, most of them have passed, but they uh, they play every week. They've been playing every week, uh, at least once a week for like 60 years. And the winner wins an entire quarter. Mm-hmm, 25 cents. And I just picture the six foot four career hustler conning his way into my grandma Betty's home bridge game, sitting with seven, you know, elderly women, sipping wheat coffee for several hours, listening to benign gossip about, you know, how the neighbors still haven't sold their home because they're, they're asking too much. I, I told you they wouldn't. And how so-and-so's husband, I mean, he's, he still hasn't fixed the sprinkler system. Look at that. The, the yard's dying. Uh, and, you know, and all, all to maybe win a couple of quarters. Uh, apparently Ben was some kind of a bridge hustler. Didn't know that was a thing. Never played bridge, but apparently it's, yeah, it's a difficult, complicated card game. Takes a lot of concentration, helps to be good at math. Interesting that his son, Steven, will become an avid video poker player, known for being really good at math later. Uh, 1969 newspaper story describes Benjamin as a glib, smooth-talking confidence man, con man, uh, who is egotistic and arrogant. Steven will also later be described as egotistic and arrogant. Uh, Hiding from the FBI after his prison break, Benjamin moves to Springfield, Oregon, where he uses the alias Bruce Werner. Bruce Werner Erickson grows out a goatee, makes money by turning back car odometers. That's very specific as well. This guy's lived a very odd life. He was a bank robber, bridge hustler, garbage disposal salesman. Now, guy guy who you can get to uh, turn back a car odometer. Did he stay busy with that? Uh, 1978, he'd, uh, he'd lived free for almost a decade following his prison break. Uh, now he makes a deal with a small women's charity in Oregon to open a bingo parlor and share the proceeds. But he doesn't share like he's supposed to and keeps most of the profits to himself. So now he's a fucking bingo hustler. Mm-hmm. Went from bridge hustler to bingo hustler. Uh, we talked about bingo hustling 
A lot back in Suck 263, the freeway killer William Bonin and his death van. Old Billy Gutterballs. His parents were bingo hustlers. I can't believe that I've covered other bingo hustlers. Oregon locals uh, who knew nothing of Ben's criminal record uh, were calling him Bingo Bruce now. Fuck yeah, they did. That's a great nickname. Oh, Bingo Bruce. Oh, Bingo Bango is Bingo Bruce. Uh, love that Stephen Paddock's father was known to many as Bingo Bruce. Those who knew Bingo Bruce <laughs> said he would tell some crazy ass stories about his past. I wish the whole episode was about Bingo Bruce. Bingo Bruce claimed, according to his interviews, that uh, uh, he had been, among other things, a Dixieland band singer, a pilot, an auto racing crew chief, a pro football player for the Chicago Bears, a survivor of a World War II minesweeper sinking, and he was once a wrestler named Crybaby. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to Bingo Bruce, some folks knew him as Chrome Dome or Old Baldy. So uh, there was clearly a little bit of crazy in the Paddock family tree, like on the branch directly above Stevens. I, I don't think you go this deep into false identities and end up known as fucking Bingo Bruce unless you have a couple loose marbles rolling around in your skull. Uh, Stevens' younger brother, Eric, uh, who will provide the most info to reporters following his brother's death, will go visit his dad when he discovers he's alive, when Eric is 17. And this is how Eric uh, describes their encounter. He says, I went to go see him for the first time when I was 17. He was a gambler. That's how you were cool back then. So I get up there and he starts telling me about how he used to send uh, letters to J. Edgar Hoover, calling him a pansy. That's what he chooses to tell a 17-year-old son who he'd never met before. I don't think I ever saw him again. So he just sounds like a crazy pathological liar guy. So he's a super cool, fun guy. A photo of Bingo Bruce that ran in a local paper uh, tipped off authorities who were still looking for the bank robber, right? The real guy, the, the paddock guy be underneath. And on the night of September 6, 1978, federal agents arrest Bingo Bruce outside where else is fucking Bingo Hall. A year later, he would once again leave federal prison early, this time on parole. People who knew him in Oregon, including a local mayor, lobbied for the release of Bingo Bruce. Uh, and then he returned, of course, to Bingo. I mean, how could he not? It's in his blood. What the fuck else is Bingo Bruce going to do? Bingo Bruce needs the bingo, baby. Bingo, bingo. It's Bingo Bruce. Um, this time, he actually opens his own church, thinking that will allow him to legally keep all of his bingo profits. Nope. State authorities charged him with racketeering in the 80s. Dude just couldn't, just couldn't avoid a bingo hustle. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Benjamin Paddock, uh, he settled civil charges and avoided jail time after paying $623,000. So if he could pay that, he's making some serious bingo bangle bucks. Uh, he eventually left Oregon for Texas where he will die in 1998. And Stephen didn't seem to take uh, after his dad much, at least not at first. Patrick Paddock, another brother, would later say, my brother was the most boring one in the family. Might not have been super close to his uh, mom either. According to Stephen's brother, Eric, Benjamin was... Benjamin was uh, Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I threw the wrong name. Uh, yeah. But anyway, his uh, dad was never with my mom. And then Stephen had limit, limited interaction, Jesus Christ, uh, with Benjamin following his dad's release from prison. So forget what I said about his mom. He might've been close with his mom. It was really tricky to piece together a lot of these details uh, into a cohesive narrative. Uh, when the father died in 1998, uh, paid newspaper obituary listed only one son, Patrick, as a survivor. So I guess it sounds like the only one who was close with him. After Benjamin's arrest this time, uh, Dolores, you know, uh, uh, was done with him, kind of backing up now to when uh, he get he gets arrested uh, in Vegas and they're living in Tucson. She packs up the family, moves to Southern California now. In Southern California, Dolores will work as a postal worker and augment her wages by investing in stocks. So maybe she was really good with numbers as well. Uh, she also worked as a secretary at one point. The family was lower middle class, according to Stephen's brothers. Uh, the mom would not remarry uh, when they were in the home, at least. I don't 
interesting. She ever remarried, doesn't say that explicitly though. The brothers would fight over who would get to drink whole milk growing up. Powdered milk, less tasty but cheaper, was the norm. Their neighborhood was working class, full of tidy ranch houses, bought mainly with money from the GI Bill. Uh, Their mom never explained what really happened to their dad. Not sure how they would find him later to reconnect. According to one of Stephen's ex-wives, Stephen's uh, single mom and the financial instability the family faced pushed Stephen to prioritize being self-reliant and independent. And he would become a very hard worker. Uh, Longtime childhood friend Greg Pallast spoke after the shooting, said that he was classmates with Stephen from the second grade through their high school graduation. And this one guy's interview is where we get most of what we know about his childhood. Uh, Greg said, the main thing is that he was a math whiz. He was really brilliant. He said that Paddock played tennis on the high school team, but was otherwise quiet. And the only other thing he said was that uh, uh, no one was really close to him. He was a closed in kid. So it sounds like he uh, may not have really had any close friends growing up. And there are just some people who just don't ever make those connections. Uh, I dated a girl in college for about nine months, Rita, who was from Portland, Oregon. And she had one brother. They were close in age. His name was Dan as well. I met him a few times and he just didn't seem to have any close friends. I was kind of fascinated with him. He just, uh, I'm like, what's going on there? The more I would talk about it, the more I'd want to ask more questions. Uh, didn't sound like he ever really had any close friends. Nice enough guy, but super quiet, like way introverted, painfully shy. When he did talk, it was only about surface stuff. Uh, Rita didn't have much to say about him. They grew up in the same house and it was like, she didn't really know him. I remember finding that just odd, right? He liked soccer. He liked to work out, uh, very shy, never had a girlfriend, uh, went to church regularly, uh, you know, got good grades, didn't cause problems at home or, or anywhere else, it seems. No idea what ever happened to him. Strange for me to think about people like that who just never reveal much ever about themselves, considering how much I've shared about myself over the years. But yeah, but some people, I mean, they'll live long lives, make it to their 70s, 80s, 90s, and will never share their innermost thoughts and desires with fucking anyone. They'll have coworkers, neighbors, spouses who won't really know much about them. How weird is that, right? Casual friends who really don't know much, a family who won't know much. Uh, my great-grandma Estelle seemed to have been one of these people. I spent a lot of time with my great-grandma Estelle growing up. Uh, she made it into her 90s, mid-90s, and I don't know that much about her, and I don't, I don't think anyone ever did. Uh, no one in the family seems to. I, I know she likes spaghetti. I know she was you know, Norwegian. She gets bigot. I know she liked certain gemstones like topaz and amethyst. Uh, she was a housewife uh, her whole adult life, raised two daughters, Help raise two granddaughters, four great-grandchildren. She liked watching rodeos and bowling matches on TV, uh, but didn't seem to have a favorite bull rider or bowler. Uh, she didn't watch movies, TV shows, or listen to literally any music. Uh, if you asked her her favorite anything, and I would ask her, hey, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? You just get a shoulder shrug and just like, I don't know. Never heard her comment in depth on literally anything. Uh, I know she liked card games and Yahtzee. But what did she love? No idea. Right, I've asked her daughter, you know, my grandma Betty, like, you know, but what did she, what was she really into? Nobody seems to know anything. Uh, was she ever passionate about anything? Did she ever have big hopes and dreams? What really mattered to her? No one seems to know. Some people just don't share much. And some people, I don't think they have much to share. Some people aren't that introspective. Some people, I wonder if they, they have any real depth to them at all. Hard for me to relate when I get so lost in my own head all the time. I often think of the term rich imaginary life. I've always had it. Sometimes a blessing, sometimes a curse. Uh, I think it's why I really like hallucinogens, right? When I do enough, my imagination can feel as if it's uh, just as real as the real world. Uh, do these quiet people have rich inner lives? You know, did Stephen Paddock? What was going on in that head of his growing up? A lot? Some? Nothing? Uh, 1971, Stephen graduated from John H. Francis Polytechnic Senior High School in the Sun Valley neighborhood of Los Angeles again. After graduating from high school, he attends and graduates California State University Northridge in 1977 with a degree in business administration, 
According to his brother, Eric, uh, he made it clear that he wanted to be rich. That seems to have been his life's driving force. He wanted to make a lot of money and he would. Uh, He bounced around from job to job for a while, looking for something with a high income ceiling. He worked nights at an airport while going to school at, you know, Cal State Northridge, then worked as a postal carrier. Also, when he was in school, seemed to overlap possibly a little bit with graduation. Again, details are scarce. Uh, After graduation, he, for sure afterwards, he went to work for the IRS. I guess he thought that was where the money was for a while. Wasn't enough. He quit in 1984, went into the aerospace industry, uh, worked for a predecessor to Lockheed Martin for three years in the 80s, according to a company statement. Not sure exactly what his job was, uh, but the money there, not what he wanted either. Finally turned to real estate, and that was where he started to make big bucks. While he got into real estate, he also held other jobs. He uh, brother-in-law said he was an accountant for a while. Public records described him as an internal auditor for a while. He definitely seemed to have worked his ass off for most of his adult life. He got married twice while he was bouncing around from career to career while he got into real estate development. Uh, his first marriage lasted from 1977 to 1999, second from 1985 to 1990. Both times uh, he was married in Los Angeles County. We don't know why his ex-wives divorced him. Both have consistently refused to talk to reporters and I do not blame them. Uh, he spent much of his adult life in the Los Angeles area. He and uh, his two wives lived or owned property in Panorama City, Cerritos, uh, North Hollywood, other areas from the 1970s to early 2000s. All in all, he seems to have been a pretty normal seeming dude. No big red flags from when he was younger. Uh, Paddock's former brother-in-law, Scott Brunholer, recalled the gunman in the 70s and 80s as a smart, fun-loving person who enjoyed entertaining on his boat at Castaic Lake and uh, Buena Vista Lake in Kern County. He seemed like a normal good guy, he said. I don't remember anything bad back then at all. Uh, and Brunholer's sister, Sharon, married Paddock in 1977. Uh, he said, I'm still in shock. 1987, Paddock bought a 30-unit building at 1256 West 29th Street in Los Angeles near the University of Southern California, USC. Such a good investment. Bad neighborhood at the time, not far from a good neighborhood, not far from a great university. Uh, Stephen later used sweat equity he built up in this building to buy, then refurbish more properties in economically depressed areas around LA, teach himself how to do all kinds of stuff, put in plumbing, install air conditioning, etc., uh, he was doing rich dad, poor dad, real estate, wealth building shit long before that became a national trend. Uh, you know, flipping houses, all that kind of stuff. He, he consistently made excellent investments. By the time he sold these properties years later, he'd more than doubled his money on his California holdings, which included at least six multifamily residences. By the late 80s, he was making a steady, reliable income off of his rentals. Uh, by the 2000s, he's getting legit rich. Among his most profitable investments was an apartment complex purchased in 2004, which gave him more than $500,000 in annual income by 2011. IRS records show he made five to six million in profits from its sale in 2015. In 2012, uh, he'd sold a 110 unit building in Mesquite outside Dallas for 8.3 million. Fuck, 110 units. He kept one for himself. He liked to uh, go there and check on his building, get a feel for how things were going with the tenants. His brother, Eric, at some point in the 80s, said he gave uh, all of his life savings over to his brother to become a partner in Stephen's real estate development company, saying he trusted Stephen implicitly, trusted him entirely to make him rich, uh, which he did. Eric uh, also would describe Stephen as a a bit of a father figure for him. Uh, Stephen was also apparently a fair landlord, kept the rents low, responded promptly to his tenants' complaints, learned all their names, made sure they were happy. Uh, When one reliable tenant complained about a rent increase, he would take off uh, half the difference, I guess or he took off in that instance, half the difference. Uh, He designed the ownership structure so his family would profit, installed his mom in a tidy house where he took care of his mom financially, put her in a little house behind another large apartment complex uh, he had bought in Texas. 
He was a strict, no-nonsense landlord for nearly a decade. He uh, owned an apartment complex, yeah, in Mesquite, that one, that big one. Former tenant Richard Gehring said Paddock improved the Texas property by checking applicants' credit scores uh, and quickly evicting those who didn't pay. Also during the riots in Los Angeles, 1990s, he went on to the roof of an apartment complex he owned in a flak jacket, armed with a gun waiting for the rioters. Did he want them to try and loot his building? Uh, Did he want to kill that day? Foreshadowing of his later attack here, maybe? Eh, maybe not. He was a good businessman. He was successful, but according to those around him, this came with a rigid attitude and a lack of desire to compromise. When his second marriage failed, gambling became his passion. He liked trying to beat the system, outsmart the casinos, and it was gambling from here until the end. Uh, To many of those around him, beginning around this time, lasting until his death, uh, he came across now, yeah, arrogant, uh, superior, yeah, egotistical. He acted like everybody worked for him and that he was above others, said John Weinrich, a former executive casino host at the Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno, where he saw Stephen frequent, uh, frequently from 2012 to 2014. When Stephen wanted uh, food while he was gambling, he wanted it immediately. He'd order from more than one server. If the meal didn't come right away, uh, he could be pushy. He took his gambling very seriously. Uh, he was uh, very meticulous with a lot of things in his life, like gambling. Uh, to some of the people that worked at the casinos he frequented, employees who'd seen hundreds, if not thousands of gamblers pass through their doors, Stephen seemed like he was you know, playing in a level above your typical Joe Schmo gambler. He approached like a chess player. He'd research his favorite game, video poker, make sure to learn the pay table for every machine he played, the listing of payouts for every coin and hand combination on a specific machine, right, you can find on the, on the back glass or screen of a video poker machine. Uh, he knew how to calculate percentages based on these pay tables to determine how much coins he should play per hand at which machine to maximize his odds of winning. One machine might only pay out an average of 95%, you know, depending on how much you put in the machine. Another might, if you play it right, with the right amount of coins uh, per hand, 99.5%. Paddock always knew apparently what machines were the loosest, which ones paid the most, how many coins to play per hand to always maximize his winnings. He knew the house advantage down to the 10th of a percent on whatever he was playing. Uh, Also played a lot of casino promotions. Casino promotions essentially pay out extra bonuses to winners, uh, says Richard Munchkin, author of Gambling Wizards, Conversations with the World's Greatest Gamblers. Says a gambler like uh, Mr. Paddock will often lock a machine, meaning he or she monopolizes it, makes sure no one else uses it during a promotional gambling session when you have the best odds to get it. Sounds like a really fucking annoying person to go to a casino with. (laughs) This guy's way too into video poker. Uh, man, you talk about a true introvert. That's, to me, that's like the most boring game, but whatever. Uh, for one casino promotion, Paddock showed up two hours early, locked two machines, played them both simultaneously for 14 hours straight. Okay. The promotion only lasted for 12 hours. He got there two hours early to make sure no one would get his precious machines that had the best pay tables. Dude was not fucking around with video poker. Uh, Steven was considered a, a mid-level high roller. He was in good standing with the MGM properties, the owner of the Mandalay and the Bellagio. Uh, he had a $100,000 line of credit, but never used the full amount. Never spent more than he could afford to lose. And his balance fully paid off by the time of the shooting. According to his brother, it seemed as if gambling made him feel important, if not social, right? He liked being waited on. He liked seeing shows, you know, go by himself oftentimes. Liked to eat good food. Eric Paddock said he likes it when people go, oh, Mr. Paddock, can I get you a big bowl of the best shrimp anybody has ever eaten on the planet and a big glass of our best port? You could tell that being in the high-limit gambling environment would lift him up, said Mr. Weinrich, that Atlantis casino host. He liked everyone uh, doting on him. In addition to gambling, he also liked to fly. Uh, In 2003, he got his pilot's license after training in the LA area. 
eventually taking the extra step to get instrument rating so he could fly in cloudy conditions with limited visibility. Uh, doing well economically, Stephen bought houses in Texas and Nevada towns with small airports. Uh, he owned a few planes. Uh, he had these little houses so he could park his planes, have somewhere nearby to stay. In Mesquite, Texas, he rented a hangar for $285 a month, 2007 through 2009. Also stored other planes uh, in uh, Henderson, Nevada from 2002 to 2010. Then in 2010, he could no longer fly his uh, planes anymore. His medical certificate expired, according to the FAA. Uh, way more interested in gambling than flying now, but still would travel sometimes. By 2013, he had started dating Marilu Danley, a Filipino woman two years younger than him, who was a cocktail waitress. Marilu was working at a, as a high-limit hostess for Club Paradise at the Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno. For his 60th birthday on April 9th, 2013, uh, Marilou and Stephen flew to the Philippines on Jap- uh, Japan Airlines and stayed for five days. The family of Marilou, his girlfriend, uh, still lived there. Uh, the couple went again for his birthday the following year. Marilou worked in Mesquite, where she and Stephen lived together at the time of the shooting. She had taken a job booking sports bets at a local casino called the Virgin River. And we don't know a lot about Marilou. Uh, she has also consistently declined to talk to reporters. Stephen's brother, Eric, said they were adorable. Big man, tiny woman. He loved her. He doted on her. Apparently, they often gambled side by side. Uh, but the supervisor to Starbucks in Mesquite they frequented, Esperanza Mendoza, didn't think he was sweet to her. He told the LA Times that Paddock often berated her in public. Mendoza said it happened a lot. He said Paddock would verbally abuse her when she asked to use his casino card to buy food or other things inside the casino. Uh, he said... Uh, he would glare down at her and say with a mean attitude, you don't need my casino card for this. I'm paying for your drink, just like I'm paying for you. Pretty fucked up. Uh, then she would softly say, okay, and then step back behind him. He said he was so rude to her in front of us. Now, if that's true, obviously very fucked up. And I don't know why this guy would lie about that. Uh, is that why his first two lives left him, right? Was he a rigid controlling asshole behind closed doors? Uh, it seems as if he might've been a, a my way or the highway kind of guy. He does sound like a dick in a lot of descriptions. His brother Eric uh, would say, if Steve decided it was time for Steve to go, well, Steve got up and left. He did what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. Uh, from 2013 to 2015, he lived primarily in Melbourne, Florida, kind of. Uh, he always bounced around from property to property, last 20 so or so years of his life. Hard to say where he spent the most time, right? Vegas, Reno, Florida, Texas, Henderson. He's all over the place. 2016, he sold the place in Florida, bought a home in Mesquite, Nevada, Several Mesquite residents described him as someone who just didn't speak much and kept a low profile. And, uh, you know, seemed pretty average. Maybe, maybe a bit cranky, maybe a dick to his girlfriend, probably. Uh, but no one saw, you know, what happened coming, it seems. Did not seem like a future mass shooter. Did not uh, have run-ins with the law. His only record, uh, recorded interaction with law enforcement, minor traffic citation. Just one, years before the shooting, which he settled in court. Uh, but he might have been struggling mentally in his final years. He uh, filled prescriptions for the anti-anxiety drug Valium in 2013, also in 2016, and finally again in June 2017, just four months before the shooting. Uh, his primary physician, unnamed in the sources, uh, wondered if he might have been bipolar. During an interview, Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo said Paddock had reportedly been losing a significant amount of wealth since September of 2015, which led to his having bouts of depression. Well, maybe you should stop fucking gambling all the time. That's what happens when you play video poker. House always wins in the end, right? They don't build those big fucking casinos uh, by losing to the Stephen Paddocks of the world. His girlfriend, Mary Lou, seemed to corroborate Sheriff Lombardo's assessment of Paddock being depressed in his final days, saying she noticed a decline of affection and intimacy towards her from Paddock, who had been romantic at first during their relationship. Also, though he'd always had guns, in the final year of his life, he went on a crazy fucking shopping spree, adding to his arsenal substantially right before the shooting. 
I think he was clearly planning the attack. He purchased over 55 firearms, the majority of them rifles, according to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, Explosives, right, in that final year. Uh, Also purchased a bunch of firearm-related accessories. As a comparison, he'd only bought 29 firearms between 1982 and September of 2016, mainly handguns and shotguns. Now he just goes to rifles, not mostly AR-15s, but, you know, uh, close to half of them, AR-15s at the end there. One of his purchases, a shotgun, came from Dixie Gunworks in St. George, Utah. He was driving all around the area to various places, buying lots of guns. Chris uh, Michael, the owner, said that Mr. Paddock visited the store three times in January and February of 2017, right? Driving from Mesquite, Nevada. Uh, Mr. Michael recalled Stephen saying that he was stopping at a number of local gun dealers, that he'd retired, moved back to the area, and was trying to get back into his hobbies. When it came to guns, Mr. Michael said he was not a novice. Marilou noticed he increased the firearm-related purchases, but wasn't worried, thinking it was just a, a hobby. Then two weeks before the attack, Stephen suggested that Marilou take a trip to the Philippines. She accepted, uh, and then Paddock uh, bought her, uh, after he bought her a surprise airline ticket, and then soon after that, wired her $100,000 to buy a house there. So he didn't want her in the country when he did what he did. Uh, was that $100,000 a farewell gift to her? We don't know. And then two days before the shooting, Paddock was recorded by a home surveillance system driving alone to an area to do some target practice located near his home. Now that we know more about Stephen Paddock, let's dig into this week's Time Suck Timeline get a more in-depth look at what happened. Uh, as a quick note, some of the sources list slightly different times, say 1126 instead of 1127. It's not off by much. Uh, we're going to go with the times that the Las Vegas Police Department and the FBI, the deep state, because I'm a puppet, would confirm in their later investigation. Also, another quick note, it is sponsored time. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything is that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number 
along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it though, and it was canceled. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. Rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel has over 10 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I've been working on my restaurant skills lately. ¿Cuál es el pescado del día? Excelente. Mi encanto pargo rojo frito. Y me gustaría un poco de huevo de naranja fresco. You may not know what I said, but my waiter in Mexico will, thanks to Babbel. Here's a special limited-time deal for listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash timesuck. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash timesuck, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash timesuck. Rules and restrictions may apply. Thanks for not leaving. Uh, Now let's get into this shit for real. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time-suck timeline. On August 3rd, 2017, a person using the name Stephen Paddock reserves a room at the Blackstone Hotel in Chicago uh, during the Lollapalooza Music Festival. Lollapalooza was held in Grant Park in Chicago, August uh, yeah, 3rd through 6th. Arcade Fire, Chance the Rapper, The Killers, Muse, The XX, Lord Blink-182, Ryan Adams, The Shin, Spoon, Alt-J, Run the Jewels. Sounds fucking great. So many more great acts. And how weird for anyone who attended that concert to think about how you could have ended up as one of Stephen's victims. Uh, the Blackstone Hotel overlooks the park. For some reason, Stephen decides not to go. Second thoughts about a mass shooting. Second thoughts about the location for a mass shooting. Uh, September 9th, 2017, over three weeks before the shooting, Paddock reserves a room at the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Uh, Mandalay Bay, 43-story luxury resort casino on the Las Vegas Strip, owned by MGM Growth Properties, the Blackstone Group, and operated by MGM Resorts International. It's fucking massive. I'm, con- I'm constantly amazed by how big these casinos are. 
every time I go to Vegas, I'm like, God, these things are huge. Mandalay Bay has uh, 3,209 hotel rooms or had at that time, 24 elevators, a casino of 147,992 square feet. Uh, adjacent to the hotel, the 2 million square foot Mandalay Bay Convention Center and the 12,000 seat Michelob Ultra Arena. And there are 24 restaurants at the resort. God, it's a fucking small city. Um, from September 22nd to the 25th, Stephen Paddock rents a room at the uh, condominium complex in downtown Las Vegas at the same time as the Life is Beautiful Music Festival. There's always so much stuff going on in Vegas. Uh, featured performances from Chance the Rapper, Muse, Lord. Again, he doesn't act. So what's he doing here? Uh, scouting, running the shooting through his mind, lining up shot angles, determining which room will be the best to fire from. Who knows? September 25th, six days before the shooting, Stephen Paddock checks into the hotel with the uh, 10 shooting range bags or with 10 shooting range bags and a computer. Given a checkout date of October 2nd, he rolls one bag to his room himself. Uh, a bellman uses a luggage cart to bring up four other bags. Paddock leaves, uh, returns to his home in Mesquite, Nevada after getting uh, all the bags. Um, you know, he has uh, another bellman bring up the, the rest. So he gets all 10 bags up there. His hotel room overlooked a portion of the Las Vegas Strip called Las Vegas Village where that weekend over 20,000 people had flocked to attend the Route 91 Country Harvest Music Festival um, or Harvest Country Music Festival. The Route 91 uh, Harvest Festival launched its inaugural event in October of 2014. In 2017, major acts were Eric Church, Sam Hunt, Jason Aldean, Jake Owen, Lee Bryce. Uh, You know, Friday through Sunday is how it's running. September 26, 2017, Paddock now wires $50,000 to a bank account in the Philippines, where his girlfriend, Mary Lou Danley, is visiting family. He then returns to Las Vegas, visits a pair of casino hotels before returning to Mandalay Bay, where he brings another six suitcases on a luggage cart, as well as another rolling suitcase to his room. Paddock then begins gambling at a hotel uh, overnight and into the next morning uh, for more than eight hours straight. Did he think he was going to die in that shooting? Was he enjoying his final days on earth? Or did he think he might get away with what he did? Take home some winnings. I don't know what's going on here. The night of September 27th, Paddock drives back to Mesquite, buys luggage, razor blades, fake flowers, a vase, and a styrofoam ball. At a Walmart. No fucking idea why he bought this shit. Got to make sure you have some fake flowers, I guess, before you start shooting the strangers. September 28th, Paddock buys a, a 308 bolt action rifle from a gun store in Mesquite. Wire transfers another 50000 to that account in the Philippines. As he just want to make sure his girlfriend's taken care of after he's gone. Um, Paddock also goes to a gun range before returning to Las Vegas for some final practice. Brings another two rolling suitcases, laptop bag to his Mandalay Bay room. Again gambles. For more than six hours this time until early the next morning. What the fuck is he thinking about as he gambles? Why is he gambling? If he's going to do what he did. I mean, I, I, well, I guess he just liked it. September 29th, Stephen moves into an additional suite. Uh, 32134, connected to the first one. Both rooms overlook the festival grounds. He can set up more rifles, have more window space to fire from. After spending September 29th mostly in his room, the next day, Paddock places do not disturb signs on his adjoining rooms. I would think so. Uh, drives to Mesquite, then returns to Mandalay Bay uh, with four more suitcases and then drives back to Mesquite again. Is he having second thoughts? Is this all going according to plan for him? Now on to the day of the shooting, October 1st, 2017. Early in the morning, he returns to Mandalay Bay from Mesquite, gambles for four more hours, brings two more rolling suitcases and a bag to his room, Throughout the afternoon, officials say he is detected opening and closing the doors to his suite multiple times, probably, you know, preparing for his attack. Uh, what did he have in preparation? So much shit. All those suitcases. 24 guns will be found in Paddock's rooms at the Mandalay Bay. An additional 18 guns found in his Mesquite residence. You know, seven more at his home in Reno. Uh, here's a few examples of the guns found in his room. Uh, it, it feels like a glossary if I, if I read them all. 
but he had a Colt M4 carbine AR-15 with the bump stock, vertical foregrip, 100-round magazine, front sight only. He had a Christensen Arms CA-15R15, wild with a bump stock, vertical foregrip, and a 100-round magazine, no sights or optics. A Colt Competition AR-15 with bump stock, vertical foregrip, 100-round magazine, no sights or optics. Smith & Wesson 342 Airlite 38 caliber revolver with four cartridges, one expended cartridge case. Colt M4 carbine AR-15 with bump stock, vertical foregrip, 100-round magazine. Daniel Defense M4A1 AR-15 with bump stock, vertical foregrip, 100-round magazine, and EOTech optic. Daniel Defense DDM4 V11 AR-15 with the bump stock, vertical foregrip, no magazine, EOTech optic on this one as well. A Ruger American 308 caliber bolt action rifle with a scope. And on and on and on. Had metal uh, had a metal L bracket with three screws, uh, securing it to the interior door frame. Two surveillance cameras planted in a room service cart outside his room. A blue plastic hose with a funnel fan and scuba mouthpiece attached. Uh, I guess in case they were going to tear gas him. Baby monitor camera, small sledgehammer, surveillance camera monitor, uh, spotting scope, binoculars, approximately 1,050 extended uh, 223 or 556 cartridge casings for those AR-15s. Polymer round 40 AR-15 magazines. Um, steel 100-round AR magazines. Polymer 25-round AR-10 magazines. Approximately 5,280 total rounds of unused live ammunition would be found. A handwritten note with distance and bullet drop calculations, uh, power hand drills, and several empty rif- rifle magazines would all be found after he was dead. It had, had a fucking arsenal. Uh, the guns were modified to do the most damage possible. Uh, a forward front grip on most of his weapons was a modification made for allowing the shooter to get a better hold of the front end during recoil for more rapid fire. Also maintains a steady sight through a scope, which can come in handy during competitions when you're aiming at a target. Several of the guns modified to, uh, yeah, allow for more rapid fire. Fully automatic firearms, right, can fire as many rounds as their magazines, drums, or belts hold simply by pulling holding the trigger, whereas semi-automatic weapons require trigger pull for each round fired, but he had that bump stock modification. Uh, police at the scene of the shooting would later report that the gunman was using an auto, right, the automatic weapon, because of the rat-a-tat sound of the gunfire. Then they would find the bump stocks we talked about. And it gave all that info on earlier. Uh, here's a bit more. Bump stocks have been around for, uh, or had been around for around a decade when this happened. When a federal assault weapons ban expired in 2004, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms noted a significant increase in requests for firearms, triggers, and other devices that replicate automatic fire. Uh, the ATF began approving such devices around 2006. For most people, a bump stock modified semi-auto rifle was the closest they could get to full auto. Uh, 1986 federal law prohibited civilians people who are not members of law enforcement or the military from processing or possessing newly made machine guns. Uh, even then machine guns made before 1986 uh, were allowed and they could cost, uh, you know, $20,000 in the private market. Uh, getting a machine gun requires special permission from the treasury department process. that includes an FBI background check and approval from the buyer's local police department. I believe you can yeah, still do that currently today. Uh, new or not all machine guns must be registered with the federal government. As of April 2017, 630,019 machine guns were registered to civilians and police agencies in the U.S., including uh, almost 12,000 in Nevada, according to the Bureau of uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives. Uh, That number does not include military inventory. Because they're so rare, hard to come by, machine guns are hardly ever used in crimes. There only seem to have been two instances of machine guns used in killings in recent history. One by an off-duty Ohio police officer in 1988 and a 1992 case, also in Ohio, in which a disgraced doctor murdered a former colleague. Uh, important to note that the guns Paddock uh, was using 
from his perch at Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino were meant for competitions, target practice for use as a hobby, not meant uh, to be used, obviously, mowing down concert goers. Up to around a half a million bump stocks are still in circulation right now in the U.S. The 2017 Las Vegas shooting seems to uh, have been the only time that they were used in a mass shooting event. Okay, 9.36 p.m., Paddock deadbolts the door to one of his rooms, then deadbolts the door to another one 10 minutes later. Final uh, act, country star Jason Aldean goes on stage 9.40 p.m. 9.55 p.m., security guard Jesus Campos or Campos arrives via elevator on the 32nd floor to investigate an alert of an open door in a guest room down the hall from Paddock's. Uh, Campos uh, checks a stairwell door that blocked his entry to the floor minutes earlier, discovers it's been fastened closed with that L-shaped bracket. Uh, Paddock had screwed it shut, right? Didn't want to be interrupted once he got started. 10.04 p.m., Campos calls security dispatch to report the blocked door. His call is routed to the facility's maintenance department, which dispatches maintenance engineer Stephen Shuck to go to the floor. 10.05, Paddock fires two initial shots at Las Vegas Village, the open-air venue across the street from the hotel where that Route 91 Harvest Music Festival is being held, right, with over 20,000 people. Then, after a few moments, he really opens fire. Chaos will now follow confusion. Some attendees initially think that fireworks are ringing out just as Jason Aldean begins to sing the first few lines of his hit when she says baby. But as the rapid fire shots continue, people begin falling. The crowd collectively realizes the horror of what is happening and they start to run. Gunfire explodes around concert goer Doris Huser, 29. She and her eight-year-old daughter had been in the bathroom. When the shooting began, they pushed back into the crowd towards the sound of the bullets in search of Huser's five-year-old son and her developmentally disabled sister. They could hear bullets pinging off nearby concession stands, uh, ricocheting off the pavement around them. Holy fuck, just absolute terror. About 50 yards away, Tyler Reeve, 36-year-old country artist and songwriter, dives into a production trailer with five friends, lays on the floor as hundreds of rounds ring out around him. Piles of bodies uh, piles of bodies are soon everywhere. Blood's collecting in pools. Everyone's screaming as hundreds are being shot. Thousands are clamoring to get away, survive in the pandemonium. A 48-year-old woman hears her husband, the father of four, collapse Dead on the asphalt next to her, young man sprints alongside his eight-month pregnant wife. A 30-year-old woman lays on top of her 21-year-old little brother to protect him from the hail of bullets because, quote, he has big goals in life. Holy shit. That is so fucking courageous and altruistic and intense. Uh, he had better get her some nice-ass gifts on her birthday every year for the rest of her life. Better give her a kidney if she ever needs Maybe just give her a kidney now, just in case she ever wants one. Uh, 10.06 p.m., security guard Jesus Campos, right, who found that L bracket on the 32nd floor seven minutes earlier, now hears what he'll later describe as rapid drilling noises as Paddock fires about 100 rounds at concert goers. Paddock, who had placed surveillance cameras outside his room, now clearly spots Campos because now he starts to shoot through the door and down the hallway at him, hits the security guard in the leg. Campos, uh, who is unarmed, not lethally wounded, thank God, takes cover, radios a hotel dispatch uh, for help, giving Paddock's room number on the 32nd floor. 10.07, Paddock resumes firing hundreds of rounds at concert goers. Two Las Vegas police officers are already in the building on another call. They head upstairs, presumably, to try to find the source of the gunfire, along with two armed Mandalay Bay security guards. Over the next two minutes, Paddock now takes several pot shots at jet fuel storage tanks at the nearby airport over 2,000 yards away, actually hitting them twice, but luckily not igniting the fuel before resuming fire on the concert crowd. 10.10, uh, Shuck, that building engineer, arrives on the 32nd floor to remove the L-bracket. Campos yells for him to take cover. Paddock starts firing down the hallway again after seeing him on the cameras. Shuck now radios hotel dispatch to send police to the 32nd floor. A minute later, two police officers, 
right? Those ones already in the building. They arrive on the 31st floor, one floor below Paddock as the gunman resumes firing on the concert crowd. They're working to determine where the shots are coming from. By 10.13, they kind of figured out they were initially about 20 floors off, but they knew it was coming from the building and which side of the building it was coming from. Two bits of dialogue, timestamp 10.13 report. It's coming from like the 50th or 60th floor north of the Mandalay Bay. It's coming out of a window. And then they go, we're seeing local flashes in the middle of Mandalay Bay on the north side, kind of on the west tower, but towards the center of the casino, like one of the middle floors. 10.16, 11 minutes after Paddock fired his first shots. News of the attack first hit social media. I'm pretty sure a terrorist attack just happened next to me. I'm at Mandalay Bay. Twitter user Glockman posts at Glockman. Uh, the first two police officers reached the 32nd floor of the hotel at 1017. They find Campos, the wounded security guard. Uh, he tells them which room is Paddock's. Gunshots had stopped abruptly two minutes earlier at 1015 p.m. At 1018, they were shown the location of Paddock's door. Right, Taxi drivers in the area receive a message direct from the police at 10.25 p.m. telling them to avoid the Mandalay Bay area. At this time, the police think there could be as many as three shooters. The message said, drivers avoid Las Vegas Boulevard and Tropicana. Active shooting from Mandalay Bay, possible three shooters. Between 10.26 and 10.30 p.m., an additional eight Las Vegas Metro Police Department officers joined the first two officers began clearing other suites along the 32nd floor hallway. At 10.30, the police start hurting people inside of Mandalay Bay to get them out of the line of sight of the gunman. 10.55, eight SWAT team members enter the 32nd floor through the second stairwell near to Paddock Suite. Once all the other rooms on the floor had been cleared at 11.20 p.m., more than an hour after the first two officers arrived and 65 minutes after Paddock had ceased firing, the police breached his door with with an explosive charge and entered the room. Paddock, already dead. Self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. He could have been dead since 10.15. SWAT officers noticed a a second closed door when they burst into Paddock's suite. Couldn't immediately be sure what was behind it, so they used a second explosive charge to burst it open, at which which point they can see the entire suite and are certain Paddock had been alone. Uh, But not before 11.26 p.m., a police officer accidentally fired three rounds into the room thinking that he had seen movement. Uh, Can't can't imagine the amount of adrenaline flowing through those SWAT team members' veins in moments like this. Uh, Inside the two rooms, police find scopes, 24 firearms, some of the rifles resting on bipods so he could, you know, quickly move from one to the next, many equipped with high-tech telescopic sights, 14 AR-15 rifles outfitted with bump stocks. Later, investigators, you know, also found, you know, ammonium nitrate, chemical compound, using homemade bombs inside Paddock's car at Mandalay Bay. How much more damage did he want to inflict that day? Uh, In addition to the firearms and accessories found in Paddock's hotel room, uh, there was a note that included handwritten calculations, right, where he needed to aim to maximize his accuracy. The note contained the actual distance to the target, his elevation, bullet trajectory relative to line of fire. Uh, There was also a number of laptops in the suite, one of which was missing a hard drive. Computer forensics will later discover hundreds of images of child pornography on the laptops. I didn't see that coming. Uh, This analysis was done by the FBI and wasn't made public until January of 2018. The search revealed, according to, uh, uh, sorry, the search revealed a disturbing search history and numerous, a uh, numerous Jesus images of child pornography. What the fuck was going on with this guy? Uh, just a few weeks after the shooting, Stephen's brother Bruce, also uh, uh, child porn, was arrested on child pornography charges. Bruce Paddock, fifty-eight, would be detained on October twenty-fifth at an LA assisted living facility, where he was awaiting surgery for spinal stenosis. A felony complaint said he had over 600 explicit images of minors. In 2014, had also swapped pornography. He faced 19 counts of sexual exploitation of a child, one count of possession of child pornography. LAPD said the images were discovered inside a building where Paddock was squatting 
in 2014, but they couldn't find him at the time. After his brother's mass shooting, they learned where he was, I'm guessing through Stevens' computers, and obtained a warrant. Uh, is that related to what he did in Vegas? Like, uh, why, why do fucking pedos come up so much in these stories? Really bothers me. I don't seek him out. Like, I thought we'd be pedo-free this week. Uh, Paddock's remains would be sent to Stanford University to receive a more extensive analysis of his brain. Uh, they would find nothing out of the ordinary. No evidence of a stroke. No tumor. No frontal lobe injuries. Nothing unusual in terms of neurology that anyone could point to uh, in regards to some kind of, aha, that's why he did it, you know, explanation. Also, during the medical investigation, it will come out that Paddock's doctor wanted him to take antipressive medication in the final months of his life, but he refused. Uh, His doctor also found him to be an odd man, showing little emotion in general and expressing fear in general of medications. Uh, Back to October 1st, two minutes after midnight, almost two hours after the first shots are fired, the Las Vegas police tweet confirmation that one suspect is down. But the, but the Vegas Strip's still in chaos. On the streets below, red and blue police lights speckled the Strip, drowning out its famous neon. Uh, many who escaped the venue or who had ran, ran from the casinos in confusion are now walking around aimlessly. Some are dragging luggage. Others are still wearing blood-drenched clothing, right? The color drained from their faces. First responders uh, descended upon the scene. Civilians did their part too, taking uh, literal truckloads of wounded to local trauma units. The injured were sometimes moved in wheelbarrows, uh, on luggage carts, More than 100 people were treated at University Medical Center alone. Sunrise Hospital uh, and Medical Center also quickly becomes flooded with the wounded. About 12 hours after the ordeal began, uh, Desiree Boyle, 35, sat in the East Valley Hospital small surgical waiting room as her husband underwent surgery. Next to her sat several several others, praying, checking their phones, some pacing, looking anxious, weary. Occasionally, a doctor or surgeon would pop in, calling out the name of a patient. Like clockwork, a swarm of loved ones would rush over, huddling to hear the news. Uh, Robert Keander of San Bernardino, California, sat in limbo, his head down. His daughter, Lauren, and her boyfriend, Zach, both 21, had been at the festival all weekend, and Zach had been shot. Uh, hours earlier, the 55-year-old Keander had been at home watching the Sunday night news when headlines about the shooting began ticking across the screen. Panic, he just bolted to Las Vegas. Good dad. Just before he left, got a text from Zach who said, hey, this is Zach. I got shot in the back, but I made your daughter run like hell. I'm truly sorry I'm not with her. She's safe with Jody. Love you both. I'll keep you updated. God, that is the kind of dude. I want my daughter uh, Monroe to date. You know, when she starts dating in 20 or 30 or 40 years. Uh, currently, I'm trying to talk her and her brother into just being weirdos who never date and just want to live at home forever. Right? But they don't, they don't seem into it for some reason. Even when I promise that they can, they can play as much PlayStation as they want. They can have the basement of themselves and not even have to pay rent. Oh, well. Uh, when he got to the hospital, Kander uh, found Lauren waiting in the lobby. He wrapped her up in his arms. He was lucky she wasn't hurt. Zach would recover. Others, of course, would not be so lucky. 58 people would die at the scene or in hospitals immediately afterwards. 411 wounded, uh, you know, with the gunshots. Uh, the ensuing panic, the stampede brings the number of injured to 867. Uh, a female survivor will die of complications from her injuries on November 5th, 2019. Uh, and then officially declared as a fatality in the shooting in August of 2020. Initially, authorities did not list her in the body count, but then changed their minds. Another female survivor also died from gunshot wound complications May 26, 2020, reported as a fatality in the shooting that September. The Las Vegas police would update the official death toll from 58 to 60 on October 1st, 2020, the third anniversary of the shooting. And that, of course, does not count Stephen Paddock taking his own life, which uh, raised it to 61. Uh, the deadliest mass shooting committed by a single person in U.S. history. Uh, okay, now back to October 2nd. 2017. So 1231 AM, 31 minutes past midnight, more than an hour since Paddock was found dead. Uh, the police department send a follow-up tweet 
saying that they think Paddock was the only attacker after initially thinking they were multiple attackers. Uh, you know, they hadn't had much time to process all this insanity. Conspiracy theorists would read Lombardo changing the story as obviously a sign of a cover-up. False flag operation crisis actors. Deep state. Two hours, 26 minutes after it began, the massacre uh, is officially declared over. Uh, that afternoon, Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval declares a state of emergency, a public health and medical disaster in Clark County. As the sun begins to set, hundreds of Las Vegas uh, locals and tourists gather at vigils throughout the valley to mourn, weep, and share in their disbelief. In front of Las Vegas City Hall, sorrowful singing grows into triumphant chants of hallelujah and Jesus. Uh, Silverado High School student Ethan DeMaio stands alongside his younger brothers holding a sign that reads, We are strong. We are battle-born. In the Central Valley at the International Church of Las Vegas, faith and community leaders from several different backgrounds comfort a crowd of about 150 uh, many attendees sniffle between sermons and speeches uh, and speeches from Clark County commissioners. Also on October 2nd, ISIS will now claim responsibility for the shooting because why the fuck not? Uh, we covered these insane dickheads way back in Suck 27. ISIS, short for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, the military Islamic extremist group that follows the jihadist doctrine, doctrine uh, said that Stephen Paddock was a soldier of the Islamic State but gave no evidence to back up this claim because there was no evidence of this in existence because he wasn't. Uh, citing a security source, the group's media arm, uh, Amak, said Paddock carried out the attack in response to calls to target coalition countries. Uh-huh. ISIS will soon double down on this claim, releasing a second statement claiming Paddock had recently converted to Islam and identified him as, as Abu uh, Abid El-Bar. I wish it would have identified him as Bingo Bruce, Bingo Bango Bruce the second. Uh, the ISIS supporting Al Batar Media Foundation also claimed that Vegas, uh, the Vegas shooting was all Islamic State. Yeah, because you know, fuck it, why not? A few days after the massacre, ISIS uh, will release the hundredth issue of their weekly Al Naba newsletter with an infographic on a blood-soaked rendering of the Mandalay Bay Hotel and claim that Paddock had converted to Islam again six months before the shooting. Right, just good old propaganda. Uh, I'm sure a lot of scared, ignorant, brainwashed people believed him. They wrote that Brother uh, Abu Abdul uh, Bar stationed himself for the invasion on the 32nd floor of a hotel overlooking a concert, opened fire continuously on the crowds using 23 guns and more than 2,000 rounds, and died. May Allah accept him after exhausting his ammunition. I mean, and yes, it was 24 guns. 24 guns. 23 was initially reported by some outlets. Uh, of course, it didn't jive with any of the evidence. Stephen Paddock had not run out of ammunition, not even close. Officers found several loaded magazines in Paddock's room. Uh, the evidence report said that along with Ten, uh, 1,050 casings littering the floor. They found 5,280 unused rounds of live ammunition. So he didn't even come close to using all his ammo. Uh, the FBI quickly, of course, dismisses ISIS's claims, saying at this stage, there's no evidence Paddock had connections uh, of any kind to any international terrorist group. Alex Jones and others of his ilk, not so quick to dismiss the ISIS claims. Uh, ISIS had also, by the way, claimed responsibility for a bunch of other attacks in the past two years that they couldn't reasonably claim, like in June 2017, when ISIS claimed an attack at a casino in the uh, Philippine capital of Manila. But authorities dismissed the claim, saying the suspect who left dozens dead was an angry, indebted gambler, not a terrorist. Why do they make these false claims? To spread fear and alarm, to make themselves seem more powerful than they actually are. Uh, they had been steadily losing international attention and political power for years leading up to this attack. In July of 2017, Iraqi security forces had driven ISIS out of Mosul, and in uh, Mosul and in uh, the weeks that followed, U.S.-backed forces closed in on the Syrian city of uh, Raqqa, the so-called capital of the group's self-declared caliphate. As ISIS forces retreated in Syria and Iraq, they lost oil reserves, key source of income for the group. So they were in the process of uh, losing their ability to self-fund, 
One thing that had made them unique among terrorist organizations, and Duncan Gardham, NBC News security analyst, uh, noted that the group's spike in claims of responsibility indicative of its increasing desperation. Okay, October 3rd, 2017 now. By 8.30 a.m. on October uh, 3rd, yeah, less than 36 hours after the worst mass shooting in modern history began upstairs, uh, guests at the Mandalay Bay already back at the casino floor. Slot machines humming, two poker tables in full swing, racing fans filling the sports book. Uh, In Washington, Democrats are pushing bans on assault rifles and Republicans volleying back that the problem was not guns. At a news conference on October 5th, Las Vegas Sheriff Joseph Lombardo still reeling from the magnitude of the shooting. It had only been four days since dozens were killed and hundreds were wounded in the city. He would end up making some statements that again would spur on conspiracy theories. In anguish, Lombardo asked at the news conference, do you think this was all accomplished on his own? You've got to make the assumption he had to have help at some point. With more information from the ongoing FBI investigation, Lombardo later would move away from the possibility that Paddock had help. Others wouldn't, right? This is all signs of deep state stuff to a lot of people. In the days after the shooting, conspiracy theorists ignite uh, across the internet, uh, would ignite. Infowars' Alex Jones, one of the first on the scene, on his radio show that aired Friday, October 6th, Alex Jones said, clearly there's more than one shooter. Uh, They said there's no way he acted alone. He had help. Infowars has backed its claim of an accomplice by highlighting supposed evidence, like a room service receipt from Mr. Paddock's hotel room, which seemed to suggest that two groups, two guests, excuse me, had been present. Uh, why is that? Who knows? Maybe he just had extra food. Maybe he had an escort over. Hopefully, you know, they weren't underage. Uh, Sunday, October 8th, Alex Jones said in a Facebook post, it's a fact InfoWars has been the most accurate media operation so far, telling you that he did not act alone. The Drudge Report now splashes several InfoWars stories about the massacre across its traffic driving homepage, whooshing Mr. Jones' theories into millions of screens. So that's a fucking great job, guys. Let's let's get his awesome hot takes out there to as many people as humanly possible. Uh, unlike Stephen Paddock, we know uh, what Alex Jones's motivation was in all this, right? Money. Back in June 2017, InfoWars' website reached more than 1.4 million unique visitors, according to web tracking firm Comscore, right? He sold a lot of awesome brain vitamins that you could take to become as smart as he was. A uh, lot of helpful, you know, silver water. His numbers fell off in August big time, way down to 689,000 visitors. He needed a big story. He needed some deep state, false flag, crisis actor shit. His take on the Vegas shooting went viral in November. Nearly 4 million people visited his site that month. So business fucking way up. Very good. Uh, Others are supporting him. Longtime propagandist Roger Stone, a frequent InfoWars contributor, uh, appeared on air to argue that the traditional news media was hiding the facts about the Las Vegas massacre from the public. Of course he did. Before bringing on Roger Stone as his guest, Mr. Jones said, all I know is they're trying to blame gun owners when it was patriots that got targeted. Uh, They're making their move. The Democrats have said that they're going to have a huge uprising in October, November. It's here. It's here, brother. Can you smell the fear, brother? The Hulkamania. He he reminds me of a, like a diluted, like a crazier fucking Hulk or something. Uh, As someone constantly annoyed with both Republicans and Democrats, this shit is so uh, fucking ridiculous. It happens so much, right? Twist a tragedy into political gain. Pander to the portion of your base that is consistently all too willing to swallow any lies you sell, make them hate the other side even more than they already do, so they'll keep voting for your team. Will more people ever wake up and see how transparent these political games really are? Right? Just smoke and mirrors. Get people thinking the other side is evil. Get them scared. And then they won't even notice when you make it harder for them to get healthcare, or when you make it harder for their kids to go to college, or when you provide more tax cuts to the rich with benefits that actually don't trickle down to the working class, or when you don't pass the proper funding measures to give more money to, say, public education. So the next generation will be smarter, maybe smart enough to see through all this bullshit 
and create real change that is not in the best interest of uh, shady multimillionaires like, you know, Roger Stone. Uh, Do you know that in the spring of 2021, the Department of Justice filed a civil lawsuit uh, against Roger Stone and his wife, Nydia, accusing the couple of owing the IRS nearly $2 million in unpaid income taxes. Uh, Department of Justice also accused the family of setting up a company called Drake Ventures that allowed them to shield their personal income from enforced collection and fund a lavish lifestyle. But you know what? He's a patriot. Loves America. He's a good guy. Uh, Citing a high-level CIA official and top psychiatrist from the federal government, (laughs) Alex Jones now said, they're saying clearly he's Antifa. (laughs) I I just picture him with like a little earpiece. I'm just getting a word in from a top psychiatrist from the federal government. Like, do they even have those? Uh, Clearly, it's the MO to trigger a helter-skelter revolution. Fucking what? What? Who, Who is saying this, Alex? What? Alex Jones made uh, all kinds of claims about the Las Vegas shooting, right? In the months that follow. He alternatively named, called Stephen uh, as being a member of the Islamic State, leftist activist, anti-Trump radical, uh, stooge for a broader conspiracy, intent on disrupting democracy democracy in general. Could Stephen Paddock, the lone Vegas shooter, have been a patsy to kick off the left's war with the right in the streets of America? He wrote on his Facebook page, fear, fear, fear. The radical left is coming for you any day now. I've been hearing that from people like Jones for so long. Still waiting. Uh, I'm not sure that the left is real uh, well-armed, right? Most of my friends on the left, no offense to them, not the scariest, toughest people I know. I mean, if I was going to put together a shooting competition team, say, I'm not going to pick them. I have some friends on the right, though, uh, and family members. Uh, they can light it up. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. Like uh, the, the right's fear of like, the, like an uprising from the left. I think, I think the right has a big advantage. Uh, as far as being armed and being like uh, well-armed and knowing how to, how to use it. Not sure what Jones is afraid of. It's, al- it's almost like he's just manufacturing fear uh, out of nothing so he can sell more fucking shitty vitamins. Uh, those who believed Alex Jones uh, then amplified the unsubstantiated Antifa ISIS allegations on social media and a storm of tweets, Facebook posts, YouTube videos. Uh, a few weeks later, the theory takes on uh, another life of its own. In an alternative investigation spearheaded by two men, Brad Johnson, retired CIA officer, Rich Higgins, former Pentagon official who served for a few months in the White House as a director of strategic planning for the National Security Council. It's fucking terrifying. These two bozos had these positions. Uh, seems like Higgins' career in the government was pretty turbulent. Dude is a fucking maniac, from what I can see. According to Ed McCallum, former director of the Combating Terrorism Technical Support Office and Higgins' boss from 2002 to 2010, uh, Higgins uh, often butted heads with leadership and made enemies at the Pentagon. He left the Defense Department in 2013, had a history of propagating controversial ideas. Read uh, wackadoodle uh, crazy ideas. An ally of Michael Flynn, President Donald Trump's first short-lived national security advisor and political strategist Stephen Bannon, uh, Steve Bannon. Higgins traveled from the, with the 2016 presidential campaign before joining the administration. A controversial memo he penned while at the National Security Council summed up his worldview when he said, cultural Marxist narratives. The forced inclusion of postmodern notions of tolerance, such as transgender acceptance, are destroying America's Judeo-Christian culture. He argued this was all part of a larger political warfare campaign waged by Islamists in concert with the hard left. That's how they're going to fucking take America down. Not with guns, but with new penises and new pussies. Pretty soon we'll all have to be transgender. Hope you don't like those dicks, male meat sacks, because Marxist Islamic left, they're going to turn them inside out. That's a real liberal agenda we keep hearing about, right? Get ready to lose those sweet pusses, ladies. The hard left is going to fucking turn them into dicks. Why can't the left and the right just argue over like economic policies and equal rights, healthcare access, gun control, abortion, etc.? 
why does some have to make the battle uh, so much wilder and crazier? I guess because fear sells, right? Because they're conspiratorially minded or liars who know stuff like that just furthers political ends in their careers or crazy. I don't know. I fucking hate these people. Uh, can't find as much info about Brad Johnson. His LinkedIn page reads in part, Brad Johnson retired as a senior operations officer and chief of station with the Central Intelligence Agency's uh, Directorate of Operations. He has served domestically and abroad with numerous assignments, often during periods of armed conflict. He has served overseas in direct support of the war against terrorism. In the summer of 2017, Mr. Johnson founded the nonprofit organization Americans for Intelligence Reform to create awareness for political corruption and diminish capabilities within the intelligence community and to raise support for CIA families who have lost family members in the performance of their duties. Mr. Johnson often speaks at universities, churches, and events. I mean, reading that, he sounds like a fucking great dude. Sounds like a fucking hero. Uh, and maybe, you know, and maybe he was, maybe he was a hero. You can be a hero and you can be crazy. Um, he's also, of course, a deep state believer. Uh, he would explain his theories uh, of what went down in Vegas in interviews with fringe media outlets. Higgins and Johnson met in the two thousands. They believed that Paddock did the whole thing out of some Islamic state, deep state Antifa kind of situation plot. And what was their main piece of evidence for this? Well, they said that Paddock was a registered Democrat in Florida. Mic drop. Boom. Do I, do I need to say more? Uh, but actually, that's not true. He wasn't. Uh, according to Paddock's family, he had no political affiliation, uh, actually seemed like he was pretty conservative. Uh, one witness told Las Vegas police that he was uh, kind of fanatical about anti-government conspiracies and that he believed someone had to wake the American public up. Maybe that's his motive right there. And get them to arm themselves in response to looming threats. What if fucking Alex Jones got him so worked up that he did this and then Alex Jones used him as like a painted him as an enemy to work others up? I don't doubt it. Uh, family members and associates of Paddock painted a picture of a man who uh, loathed restrictions on gun ownership and believed the Second Amendment was under siege. So really doubt he was part of the fringe left. And also self-made businessmen don't typically go far left. Don't generally love more taxes, social services system that they often see uh, in my experience as rewarding people who did not work as hard as they did. Way better chance, you know, he was someone who was possibly a big Alex Jones fan. Uh, Johnson and Higgins would claim that Paddock had targeted country music fans, a natural Trump fan base, to attack the right. And because Paddock was an actor, crisis actor for Antifa, right, the deep state and ISIS, prevented the FBI then from pursuing correct leads. Mm -hmm. Where did the lizard people factor into all this? What about the greys? Uh, asked about how the hundreds of agents who had participated in the investigation could possibly all be in on the same deep state cover-up. All these two had to say was that almost nothing you think is true is true. I fucking love it when these assholes uh, give weird movie answers uh, to tough questions that I don't explain anything. Uh, uh, what evidence do you have uh, uh, of all of this? Wh what evidence do I have, you ask? How about the truth is out there? Uh, wait, uh, isn't that uh, from the X-Files? <laughs> yeah, you got, you got me. But it still plays. Still plays. Okay, you don't like that one? How about maybe you should do your own research? Uh, what? No, we we did. And it doesn't line up with what you're saying, which is why I'm asking these questions. Uh, so what what sources did you use for all this again? All right, check this one out. Conspiracy theorist. Nothing more than a derogatory title used to dismiss a critical thinker. Um, isn't that just an internet meme you just repeated? <laughs> so, hey, still plays. Hey, I've got more. How about trust no one? God damn it. That's the X-Files again. <laughs> all right, you got me again. Uh, okay, hold on, hold on. How, how about this? How about this? I, I, I got one. I got one. Uh, the world is in a constant conspiracy against the brave. That's another uh, internet meme. Oh, one last chance, last chance. What about, and now that you're finding out, he's playing little games. You calling me again. You say you want me around. 
but I'm not sure now if I want to be down. God damn it. That, those are fucking Backstreet Boys lyrics. All right. I don't know. I can't answer your question. Uh, Johnson and Higgins would send their super credible theory to the CIA, the FBI, members of Congress. And I'm guessing it was thrown in the trash. I'm hoping. So far, nobody with any real standing seems to have taken their, their documents seriously or, or even acknowledged having received them. Uh, the findings of the Las Vegas police investigation, which the FBI assisted, directly contradict Higgins and Johnson's theory. But even as there appears to be no hard evidence supporting Higgins and Johnson's theory, uh, very little support for it outside the authors of the document, it has had real-world effects. Within weeks of the massacre, Higgins and Johnson and some small hive of like-minded supposedly members of uh, people, supposedly members of the intelligence and special ops community, I doubt it, informally teamed up to examine data they thought investigators were ignoring. Their investigation included an analysis of acoustic signatures from cell phone videos recorded during the shooting and posted on YouTube, excuse me, which led them to believe a second gunman was likely involved. The document, uh, excuse me, authored by Higgins and Johnson, argued that Paddock was likely killed by another collaborator in the room with him in an op-gone-bad situation. And who was this other collaborator? Well, some poor bastard named Brian Hodge. Hodge, who moved to the U.S. from fake country, not real, full of crisis actors, Australia, uh, in 2013, a man who worked as a concert promoter was in Las Vegas for business the night of the massacre, staying in the same hotel as Paddock in a room on the same floor. According to Hodge, he was returning to his room as the shooting unfolded. He fled downstairs, hidden some bushes outside the hotel, posting on social media in real time about what he thought was happening. Although he was not an actual witness to anything. He talked about being on site, then disseminated faulty information that he had pulled from the internet. At one point, he posted there are multiple shooters with automatic weapons, but he doesn't actually know what's going on. Uh, this caught the attention of the Australian media. Hodge gave a series of interviews in the hours after the shooting in which he talked about hiding in those bushes uh, until a Las Vegas SWAT team led him to safety. Hodge also made some misstatements. For instance, mistakenly saying that his hotel room was next door to the shooters. He exaggerated. It wasn't. It was down the hall on the same floor, though. Uh, Hodge now found himself to be the subject of wild speculation on the internet in the days after the shooting. YouTubers, bloggers, dissect his media appearances, raise questions about his various misstatements and assertions. Soon enough, this catches the attention of Higgins and Johnson, those fucking, that brain trust. Uh, they examine his digital footprint on social media and come to believe he is the go-between between ISIS and Antifa on this operation. No, uh, no evidence supports this theory. Uh, part of their document included detailed uh, per personal information about Hodge that would later lead to him getting death threats. Uh, it said, while not excessively political, it is clear from his Facebook activity that Mr. Hodge supports left-wing issues such as transgender rights, support of gay marriage, and that he holds some anti-right-wing views. Holy fuck, you guys! He's not anti-trans, so he must have something to do with the shooting! Damn you, Antifa! Damn you! Why do people do this binary shit? Right? I, uh, I am a pro-gun <laughs> and also pro-trans. You can fucking, you can be a variety of things. These Fucking idiots. I hate them. One piece of evidence given for Hodge's supposed ISIS ties, and I'm not making this up. <laughs> this, this is the level these guys are operating on. He allegedly ate at a Turkish kebab restaurant in New Mexico in the days after the attack. And they're like, <laughs> see, the truth is out there. Fucking what? I went off on the current Turkish government hard in the Armenian genocide. Hate the current party in power. Think the president's piece of shit. Uh, but I love their food. I, I fucking, uh, I like their food. Uh, and I don't think ill of all their citizens in general. Uh, well, it's such a juvenile, idiotic way to think, right? Like, uh, what? Like that's like, that's like the kind of person that um, uh, during some kind of immigration uh, situation, well, I'm not eating tacos anymore. Well, congratulations, you're a fucking moron. Um, and and do you always like love what whatever president we happen to have? 
Would you agree with all your fellow, fellow citizens about literally anything at all? I'm guessing no. Would you want people to assume all Americans think the same way? No. Why do we do that to other nations and cultures? Uh, silly us versus them boogeyman bullshit. Some people will put an entire nation of others into the same cohesive group. And by, and by some people, I just mean people not good at complex thinking, like the people who buy these conspiracies. Such an irrational thing to do. Uh, I'm guessing a whole bunch of people in Turkey, you know, uh, think that the people running their government are fuckfaces. Okay, in this example, he didn't even eat at the restaurant, Hodge said. He, he insisted he never even traveled to New Mexico. So good job, Higgins and Johnson. I hope you uh, both can become maybe co-president someday and lead our nation into glory. I hope you're working, uh, I hope you have your own detective agency. You have such incredible minds. Very impressive. Uh, when Hodge saw that he was becoming the focus of conspiracy theories, he changed his social media privacy settings so that only select friends and family had access to Higgins and Johnson. This was suspicious. How dare he try to avoid online and real world harassment? In their document, they wrote that in some cases, the purposeful deletion of data is evidence of consciousness of guilt. And since the Las Vegas attack, Mr. Hodge has attempted to conceal his electronic social media presence, locking down his Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook accounts. Higgins and Johnson, uh, guys, again, almost as smart as Alec Jones, become so suspicious, they recommend in their report that Hodge be put under national level surveillance. So that's fucking awesome. They also never contacted Hodge to get his side of the story. I mean, but why would they? They have all the answers they need. In the spring of 2018, the document Higgins and Johnson made went public, causing a tidal wave of harassment for Hodge, who reported to the FBI who wanted protection because he's worried about like getting fucking killed because of this. August 3rd, 2018, almost a year after the shooting, police re- uh, release their final report on their investigation. They said they had no way to determine Paddock's motive. Paddock did not leave a suicide note. The investigation concluded uh, no evidence he belonged to any terrorist organizations, any hate groups, uh, had no criminal record. Uh, they determined he acted alone. In the course of their 10-month-long investigation, investigators followed 2,000 leads, uh, watched 22,000 hours of video, examined 252,000 images. On January 29th, uh, the FBI, 2019, the FBI will release their findings about the investigation. And their report will highlight 10 findings. Uh, these are the key ones they found. Number one, his attack was neither directed, inspired, nor enabled by ideologically motivated people or groups. He conspired with no one and he acted alone. Two, there was no single motivating factor behind the attack. Three, investigators found no manifesto, video, suicide note, or other communication relating to the attack. However, he desired to die by suicide. Four, he wanted to gain infamy via a mass casualty attack and was influenced by the memory of his father. Bingo, bingo, bango, bruso! Uh, Convicted bank robber and diagnosed psychopath. Five, his decision to kill people while they were uh, being entertained was consistent with his personality. He had a history of exploiting others through manipulation and duplicity, sometimes resulting in a cruel deprivation of their expectations without warning. That's interesting. Uh, Six, he had no ill will against a specific casino, hotel, the music festival, or anyone killed or injured in the attack. Seven, he engaged in significant, methodical, internet-based research regarding site selection, police tactics, and response, and ballistics. Eight, he did not plan to escape the Mandalay Bay hotel room after the attack and took multiple calculated steps to ensure he could kill himself at a time and in a matter of his choosing. So he was not planning on going to the Philippines. Nine, he kept interpersonal relationships and was not isolated before the attack. Uh, Ten, he had a really nice uh, vase and fake plant that, uh, you know, we just thought was a a nice touch and it really kind of like uh, brought the room together. Now, uh, ten findings illustrate he was in many ways similar to other active shooters the FBI has studied. And that, uh, you know, you just don't often find uh, the answers to the stuff. An FBI behavioral analysis unit did not find a single or clear motivating factor for his actions. 
just concluded he was in financial trouble. Uh, he had, you know, uh, lost uh, $1.5 million recently through gambling and was just having difficulty coping with his age. As he grew older, Paddock became increasingly distressed and intolerant of stimuli while simultaneously failing to navigate common life stressors affiliated with aging, the FBI's report said. The report was just three pages, leading to disappointment for many who had hoped the investigation would reveal so much more. Uh, close to 16 months after the massacre, the FBI's long-awaited report did little to shed light on the investigation, left its main question about motive unanswered. Aaron Rouse, special agent in charge of the FBI's Las Vegas office, defended his agency's handling of the investigation, calling it a Herculean effort. More than a thousand FBI employees worked on the investigation, he said, adding that it would be a mischaracterization to deem the FBI's inability to identify a specific motive as a failure. Rouse said everything that could be done to figure out why has been done. And it makes me think of that quote we started this episode off with again. People are mysterious, even to themselves, right? Conspiracy brain types would use the lack of finding uh, of a motive as evidence, of course, that the FBI withholding information. But is that necessarily true? Jack Levin, author of several books on serial killings, uh, professor uh, emeritus of sociology and criminology at Northeastern University in Boston, said he doubted authorities had any reason to withhold information about Paddock. He said, uh, you know, he would have liked the FBI report to detail whether a catastrophic loss might have triggered, triggered Paddock to undertake the attack. He said, I've studied hundreds of cases, and in almost every case, there has been a catastrophic loss. Loss of a job, loss of lots of money, becoming deeply in debt, losing a relationship or a loved one, separation from important friends uh, and eviction. Las Vegas police have declined to comment on the FBI report, but their report, clicking it at 187 pages, you know, didn't find motive either. Uh, Levin said he thinks Paddock just wanted mostly to be remembered, to be infamous. Levin said, people say we don't know Paddock's motive, but I think his motive was to go down in infamy. That's a motive that's shared by lots of killers. Uh, and then finally, on March 26, 2019, after over uh, a year of political debate, a federal ban on bump stocks goes into effect. Uh, the push to make them legal led largely because of the Vegas shooting. Uh, the final rule clarifies the definition of a machine gun in the Gun Control Act and National Firearms Act includes bump stock type devices i.e. devices that allow a semi-automatic firearm to shoot more than one shot with a single pull of the trigger by harnessing the recoil energy. The semi-automatic firearm to which is it affixed, to which it is affixed so that the trigger resets and continues firing without additional physical manipulation of the trigger by the shooter. Uh, there have been numerous le legal challenges to the ban and some appear to be ongoing, but from what I can tell, you can no longer purchase bump stocks in the U.S. currently. And now let's hop on out of here. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Okay, before I uh, recap today's episode, uh, let's hop into a little it to the internet to see what some of the, uh, of, of the web's finest minds have to say about possible alternative explanations regarding what happened in Las Vegas on October 1st, 2017. Idiots of the internet. Uh, in a video titled Conspiracy Quote-Unquote Nuts Right to be Suspicious About Vegas, uploaded on October 18th, um, you know, there's some pundits entertaining some uh, Alex Jones-type shit that we've talked about. Some, uh, some And some geniuses reveal how smart they are in the comment section underneath. Zero, 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 chemo writes underneath this video in 2017, there have been so many lies and secrets over the years and getting worse. So... We have to be conspiracy nuts. They earned our lack of trust with certain groups and people. 
Guys, guys, we have to believe in conspiracies. Deep state, crisis actors, celebrity clones, lizard people, Area 51, all of it. We have to for the good of America. Uh, Chemo seems like they have a real good head on their shoulders. Thomas Neal also posed in 2017. All these commenters uh, I've selected post in 2017. Uh, The fact that they have to tiptoe around the term conspiracy nut just to ask legitimate questions should say a thing or two. Yeah, it does say a thing or two. Says you're fucking crazy. Uh, You know, uh, Thomas, you give people who believe in some some conspiracies, legitimate ones, a a bad name. Pills Nrimgard writes, Mandalay Bay will release the video just as soon as the CIA and FBI are done filming it. Fuck yeah, bro. Cranking out deep fakes in the same studio they used to uh, fake the moon landing. Noice. Then Danny writes, it's not conspiracy. It's common sense. Mm-hmm. You're stupid if you don't believe uh, things that no evidence supports. I see what you did there, genius. So many other comments like this. A lot of, lot of back padding, a lot of high fives, right? Like we're all super smart, right guys? I mean, we're, we're smarter than everyone. That's why we see what others don't. We know the truth, right? Love you guys. Love being on team smarter than everyone. Then uh, Mario Marin, oh boy, kicks it up several notches, goes way deeper to get to the truth. 9.30.17 was the last day of Yom Kippur. The shooting happened on Sunday at the Harvest 91 and 10.01, 9.11.01. In Roman numerals, it is written, I-X-X-I, move the two X together, and you have the Masonic square and compass. The eye and the side stand for the two pillars and towers, Jachin and Boaz, the sun and the moon. At the event, the two towers are right behind the stage. That's where the directional speakers were hidden, which simulated the gunshots. Mandalay Bay is a camp at the Bohemian Grove. <laughs> and the original owner of the Mandalay Bay attend the elite camp. Sheldon and Miriam Andrus Edelson are known as Sabatian Frankish Jews. Adelson had a pre-planned meeting with Trump, and then this just happened. Jim Murren, owner of MGM International, came out for Hillary big time. He's a Republican, supposedly, but now he heads the American infrastructure for the Homeland Security Committee. Michael Chertoff, ex-DHS secretary, Rothschild Zionist, leads the Chertoff Group, which represents one of the leading manufacturers of whole-body imaging machines. Rapiscan Systems, Special Agent Aaron Rouse, head of the FBI Las Vegas, married to Megan Rouse, daughter of John Podesta, son of Pete Rouse. Chief of Staff for Senator Obama, Chief of Staff, President Obama. He got the job in 2016, assigned by James Comey. Came from counterintelligence clandestine operations. That's the Kazarian Zionist cabal, responsible for the PSYOP and treason. Mandalay Bay equals banal mayday. A PSYOP like Boston, Orlando, San Bernardino, Sandy, hoax, 9-11, etc., etc. Also the Oregon standoff, nothing else than a staged event to instigate U.S. militia. The strategy was developed by the Tavistock Institute called Controlling Masses Through Terror. It is trauma-based mind control through the mass media. The emotional pain sets in as the MSM is anchoring the source of the trauma to an object. In this case, white people, Christians, conservatives, American patriots, mentally ill men, gun owners. Much of the programming is to create an aversion to white people carrying guns for protection, also supposed to look non-conclusive, unrealistic, grossly exaggerated, to filter out and identify dissident parties who do not believe the official narrative, label them as domestic terrorists, and enter them into a DHS database. Last but not least, believers are made to argue with, debate, and fight non-believers. The conspiracy theorists, in order to divide and conquer, I am ex-Intel. And this was planned and executed by SAD, Special Activities Division of the CIA, FBI, and DHS. 
in compliance with the local sheriff's department and hospitals. Most of the victims and participants who are giving interviews are not crisis actors, but undercover agents. Crisis actors are used for drills which run parallel to the event, or a day before, as a misdirection and a way out. In case something goes wrong, the chief coordinator, in this case Aaron Rouse, would call it off and sell it as part of a drill. Since they are so-called capstone events, heavy gag orders, as well as non-disclosure agreements imposing big fines and long prison sentences, if the operation is revealed, need to be signed by each and every participant who is in the know! I've also seen the Cyber Warrior binder at the DHS headquarters in Washington, D.C. <laughs> this is a fucking YouTube comment, by the way. It's a fucking novel, which Obama approved right before he was elected to office. It outlines the operating procedure for all government shills to push their official narrative of a staged psyop on social media, no matter how ridiculous, and keep track of all the conspiracy theorists, a term coined by the CIA to label all people who don't buy the official report of the JFK single shooter report or the Warren Commission. I mean, I don't buy that, but this is fucking too crazy. The Crown Corporation out of the inner city of London, one of the only three independent city-states in the world which consists of the crypto-Jewish banking families, Kazar, Askenzim, Bloodline, not Semites, Rothschild, Warburg, Oppenheimer, Kuhn, Schiff, Loeb, Sachs-Gotha, Windsors, created issue the fiat money to the Federal Reserve. Look up the Federal Reserve Act of 1933. This guy's going fucking deep. All Americans are debt slaves to fictitious U.S. corporations founded in 1871 by birth certificate bonds, coaxed into putting life into their all-cap straw men's name by signing commercial contracts, like driver's licenses, marriage licenses, business licenses, etc., etc. The U.S. operates under maritime admiralty law and its uniform commercial code. We are still under the War Powers, Jesus Christ, Act of 1941, and under soft martial law, therefore no American owns anything, not even their underwear. The IRS income tax falls under the War Powers Act and is totally voluntary. Everyone who calls it a citizen, person, or resident within a U.S. corporate documentation automatically consents and falls under the commerce and trade law of the Vatican's Uniform Commercial Code. Nice, getting the fucking Pope in there. United Nations resides on our soil and under State Department Publication 7277. The U.S. is outlined as being the world police force. The United States and Russia are the two disarmament police countries. And once we are done disarming the world, then Russia will disarm us. In 1992, the U.S. Congress approved the U.N. Charter, became, this is a treaty that supersedes the Constitution of the U.S. The U.N. Charter is now the law of the land. The U.N. Treaty Articles 55 and 56 state that the U.S. Congress no longer abides by the U.S. Constitution. As of 1992, America completely ceased to exist. They just haven't told the people yet, and they will not tell them until they have totally regulated the Second Amendment and taken everybody's firearms away. Check out the Open Skies Treaty of 92 between Russia and the U.S. It's a treaty that made... I picture like if he's uh, like he's talking at the dinner table, like the family have left six minutes ago. He's by himself. It's a treaty that mandates Russia to conduct flyovers of our country to monitor the dismantling of our military, our missiles, tanks, bombers, closing of military bases. Likewise, this treaty mandates the U.S. conduct flyovers to Russia to monitor the dismantling of bombers, missiles, tanks. I have no one to talk to. Please, I'm very lonely. Closing your military bases. Even though the U.S. is the world's main disarmament police force, along with Russia, this process is always led by Russia as outlined under the World Disarmament Agency. This, <laughs> the two, the two mil- now he's just like, he's falling asleep himself. The two military world powers are downsizing and coming together to form the world police. George H.W. Bush created the jihad movement when he was head of the CIA. Come on, guys, please just listen a little bit longer. He brought a group of Arabs together to teach them the corrupt version of Islam, then train them, arm them, use them to overthrow the USSR and put in a new world compliant Russian government. Any country that doesn't comply with the race for peace, world disarmament and adhere to the agendas put forth by the UN gets hit with terrorism, false flags. That's why the CIA, together with Israel's Mossad, created ISIS. Uh, Israelis, come on, please, someone listen to me. Israeli secret intelligence service to disarm and destabilize the Middle East. 
Most of ISIS soldiers are Saudis. I don't want to take my meds. Are Saudis and treated by Israeli hospitals. Now he's in a mental institution. Once Russia and the U.S. are done disarming the world, they will disarm each other. Laws were passed decades ago. I, I know I've talked about this earlier, but I didn't want to say it again. Just, please, don't, don't put me in the jacket. Or outline your right to own a gun. Disarmament in the U.S. Public Law 87297. And a very careful process of getting those who won't go along with the plan either kicked out of the military or sent overseas to disarm other countries. We are in stage four of four in the peace race. Now it's been like three years later. He's in a room by himself. All this missile testing of other countries, Iran, North Korea, etc., is BS. Nuclear weapons do not exist. <laughs> this is a fear-mongering scam. Little boy, fat man, mixed with 8,000 pounds mixture of TNT, napalm, magnesium for the glaring flash. The houses of Hiroshima and Nagasaki were mainly out of wood and paper. Uh, he's at like a, a hearing now to see if they can let him out of the institution. The victim was burned to death by fire, not radiation, since they're firebombed. All of our senior military officers know this and are complying. Most of them are New Age Freemasons and exactly the same. Now he's back in the room by himself. Are exactly the same in other countries. Militaries are all Freemasons who believe in a world war government. Obama, not a Muslim. Now he's at lunch with other uh, patients who are just fucking glaring at him. Putin, Bush, Clinton, president of China, all Freemasons. Trump is a Freemason. Once the first militia, I did not write any of this, by the way, I promise. This is all hit one fucking post. Once the first militia or patriot is trying to be disarmed, there will be a civil war. The second continental army of the Republic plus many other militias are ready and prepared to fight a 15-year civil war to reinstate the Constitution as the extreme law of the land. There will be a civil war because real patriots are prepared and willing to fight in the defense of the Constitution. That's why the government is preparing by setting up the FEMA camps, buying millions of hollow point rounds, adding tactical armored vehicles to their fleet. Right now, now he's on his deathbed. He has fucking days left to live. When Russian soldiers dressed in our military or NATO uniforms started confiscating firearms and rounding up patriots in the middle of the night, that's when the war will officially begin. Civil war will happen 100% in America. That's when the real truth will be unveiled. Holy shit. Uh, that, that comment wasn't ridiculed. In the comment section. That shows how bad the overall comment section is. You know, it had some thumbs up, right? People are like, nah, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I've been saying a lot of the same shit to a lot of my family, my former family. Back when I had a family, back when people still talked to me, I said a lot of these same things. Uh, yeah, Bohemian Grove, right? PsyOps, whatever the fuck else it is read. That's what happened. Or, or a depressed gambling addict became disillusioned with his life and wanted to end it and decided to take a bunch of people with him because he was an arrogant misanthrope who hated society and wanted to be infamous. Or that. Or sometimes shitty people do really shitty things and never tell us why. And that's all there is to it. Right? Or that. Let's get the fuck out of here. Idiots of the internet. internet. That was fucking wild. I will say, I, I, I do want to apologize somewhat for the length. It, when I went over it, it didn't seem as long as when I was reciting it just now. <laughs> what is that person? Who is that? What is that person doing right now? I'm sure, I'm sure they're still working on the manifesto. Like maybe they just like, they, they hit click on that and they're like, oh, I got more to say. And then I don't know, they got kicked off of YouTube and now they're just like, I picture them with a typewriter. They've just been adding to that ever since that post. You know, they just they eat just enough to kind of stay alive and just constantly, and the, the Psyops and, and the Russians and China. I mean, you got a, a, a two, 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 three, seven, four. Uh, what do we actually know about this terrible tragedy? On the evening of October 1st, 2017, while country singer Jason Aldean was on stage as the closing act of the Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival, Stephen Paddock fired from a 32nd floor window at the Mandalay Bay Hotel with a variety of weapons, including semi-automatic rifles outfitted with bump stocks, right, to, to make it similar to fully automatic machine guns. He'd kill 60 people, gunfire, trampling, left 867 injured, biggest mass shooting committed by an individual in U.S. history. And we don't know why he did it. Frustrating, but true. We don't always get to understand why people do terrible, terrible things. Not everyone explains why they do what they do in life. Not everyone knows why they do what they do. 
Not all stories have endings wrapped up in nice little bows where all the questions get answered. Life just doesn't work that way, right? It's very hard for a lot of people to accept that. A lot of people so desperately want a reason for everything. There's gotta be a reason. There actually doesn't have to be a reason. Why are we here? What's the point of life, right? What's the nature of God? Why did Stephen Paddock do what he did on October 1st, 2017? Who the fuck knows? We just don't know about so much shit and that can drive us crazy and it does drive some of us crazy. And then people like Alex Jones, whether consciously or not, they take advantage of this need for answers. I loathe Jones and people like him, but I don't hate conspiracies. Sometimes they do hold the answers. Healthy to have some skepticism. Important to look at alternative theories, especially considering some of the shady shit our government has actually done. Shady CIA stuff that has for sure happened is still happening, I'm guessing, probably right now. But uh, that's not a good reason to just keep jamming puzzle pieces in where they don't fucking fit. What good does that do? That's not healthy. That's not smart. It's stupid and sometimes cruel. Accusing families of murdered first graders of being crisis actors so you can sell more supplements. I mean, that's flat out evil. Peddling falsehoods like Pizzagate getting people riled up because it's good for business. That's that's terrible. It's horribly unethical. What's good is dialogue, investigation, fact-based research. Uh, shit Alex Jones doesn't do because I don't think at least uh, he's not your friend. Uh, I think he just wants to make money off of your fear. Will we ever learn more about Stephen Paddock or his motivations? I mean, maybe, I doubt it. Unsatisfying for sure, but that's, uh, you know what? That's truth for you. Truth just doesn't fucking care uh, about your feelings, doesn't care how fucking satisfying it is or is not. It just is. Nimrod likes to keep us guessing sometimes. Uh, Now let's look back at what the story is again, uh, for sure in today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, on the night of October 1st, 2017, a man named Stephen Paddock committed the worst shooting by an individual in American history when he rained down bullets from a hotel window onto unsuspecting concert goers at the nearby Route 91 Country Music Harvest Festival. 61 people, including two victims who would die of complications uh, to their injuries in 2019 and 20, lost their lives as a result of Paddock's actions, including Paddock uh, taking his own life. 411 injured by gunfire, More trampled as the chaos broke out, bringing the total injured to 867. Number two, Stephen, uh, aside from stockpiling weapons and being moody, maybe being a really uh, verbally abusive boyfriend, didn't show any classic signs of the instability that would lead one to think he was going to go on a shooting spree. To most, he seemed like just another dude in his 60s who loved video poker, and Vegas is full of those guys. Number three, the city of Las Vegas, uh, resilient as hell in the aftermath of this tragedy. In the days after the shooting, locals and tourists gathered at vigils or at casinos determined to go on living after witnessing what must have been one of the worst things a human being can ever bear witness to. Number four, uh, bump stocks. Stephen Paddock outfitted many of these to his semi-automatic weapons to make them work a lot like automatic weapons, meaning he didn't have to pull the trigger every time he shot. He could pull the trigger once, empty a whole magazine. These devices certainly helped him shoot uh, as many people as he could that night in Vegas. Does that mean they should be illegal? I don't know. Uh, You know, I mean, you could argue that any gun of any kind can help you kill. It does. So should they all be illegal then? And maybe crossbows too. And knives. And chemicals you could buy at the store and you could use to poison someone, etc. How far do you want to take that line of thinking? And if you think they should definitely be legal, then why not legalize true automatic machine guns and maybe rocket launchers and tanks, uh, attack choppers, fighter jets? Uh, maybe, maybe private citizens should be able to access nukes. Going extreme in either direction gets pretty silly at some point. So what do we do? I wish I knew. In a democracy, I guess we just keep going with whatever the majority of us feel is the right call to make. 
Uh, number five, new info. On November 7th, 2018, roughly 13 months after the Las Vegas shooting, another mass shooting occurred in Thousand Oaks, California, north of LA, uh, at the Borderline Bar and Grill, a country western bar frequented by college students. 13 people killed, including the perpetrator, who died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound, and a police officer shot multiple times with the fatal wound accidentally being fired by another officer. Uh, one other person sustained a gunshot wound, 15 others injured in incidental causes. Uh, police identify the killer as 28-year-old Ian David Long, a U.S. Marine Corps veteran. What does this have to do with today's topic? Well, some people who were at the 2017 Vegas shooting were also at the 2018 Thousand Oaks shooting. How fucking crazy is that? And super tragically, Telemachus Orfanos, 27 years old, a man who survived the Vegas shooting, died in the Thousand Oaks shooting. It's particularly ironic that after surviving the worst mass shooting in modern history, he went on to be killed in his own hometown, his father told the Ventura County Star. That is like something out of a Final Destination movie, only real. Sometimes, unfortunately, life actually is like a movie, a terrible, terrible uh, horror movie. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The 2017 Las Vegas mass shooting and the conspiracies that surround it has been sucked. I'm sure I'll get some fun emails from some conspiracy freaks. I look forward to them. Hopefully, hopefully uh, one of them at least is as long as that thing I read. Uh, thanks to the Bad Magic Productions team. Thanks to Bad Magic uh, Queen, uh, Lindsay Cummins, for running so much shit. The best teammates. Thanks to Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley for his production. Thanks to Bitelixer for keeping the Time Suck app running smooth. Logan the Art Warlock Keith, creating the merch at badmagicmerch.com. And for running socials with Lizzie and Chantress Hernandez. Thanks to the All Seen Eyes, moderating the Cult of the Curious private Facebook page. Thanks to Beefsteak and his mod squad running Discord. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans again for her initial research on the shooting. Uh, next week, we're going to really lighten things up. We're going to suck the long, fabulous life of actress Betty White. Our space lizards have decreed it. Uh, Betty White was uh, taken from the world too soon. Not too long ago at the young age of 99. Is it too soon for me to talk about her being taken too soon in a sarcastic way? Before passing on December 31st, 2021... Uh, 20, why did I say that? It's weird. 2021. Betty White was still busy with an entertainment career that had begun in the 1940s. That's so wild. She was a legendary actress who starred in shows like Life with Elizabeth, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, The Golden Girls, Hot in Cleveland, so many more. Betty worked for eight decades <laughs> and technically was active in nine different decades in the entertainment business. Made a career for herself that most actors can only dream of. She appeared in more than 30 movies, over 100 TV shows. One five, that's fucking nuts. Won five Emmys, a Grammy, three American Comedy Awards, two Screen Actors Guild Awards. Uh, in 2014, the Guinness Book of World Records confirmed she had the longest career ever as a woman in TV. Uh, Betty's entire life defied expectations. She built her career in a time that opposed working women, became a producer, founded her own successful production studio. Betty was one of the uh, first and few female game show hosts. She continued working well after the time that the industry determined was a woman's prime. Although Betty wasn't over, uh, overtly feminist, her career reinforced equality between the sexes, proved that women could star in shows, and continued to be successful in their later years. She was a badass boss bitch. And me and Lucifina cannot wait to suck her next week. Right now, let's suck on this week's Time Sucker Updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker Updates. Uh, been a heavy episode this week, and we're going to start with a heavy update. Uh, beautiful soul and sucker. Daisha Chambers writes, I've been a longtime fan of all your platforms and have forcefully recruited anyone I can to the Bad Magician team. Thank you. I just uh, recently went to see you in Denver with my partner, Jake. We are excited to come see you again when you come back to Salt Lake. That's very nice. Uh, 
Unfortunately, today I have some bad news to report. I'm hoping you all can help me out. On the morning of February 8th this year, my uncle, Cade Clemenson, sadly lost his battle with mental health and took his own life at the young age of 33. He lived a very full and amazing life. He had done more than most people can do in a lifetime within his short 33 years. Over the last five, give or take, he decided to use his own personal struggles with mental health and suicide to speak out and advocate for others who may be too afraid to get help for themselves. In 2019, he was amazing enough to have the courage to speak about his journey with mental health and suicide at the United Nations. It brought tears to to many eyes and he received a standing ovation. That was just the beginning for him. He began painting as a form of coping and battling with his inner demons. Then he decided he wanted to use his newfound skill to help with his determination to continue to advocate for mental health awareness, especially in young children. He opened up an art studio in Salt Lake City called It's Not a Gallery and began selling his art and other local other local Utah artists' work to help raise money for mental health awareness. Shortly after, he was able to partner with the Children's Center, who have been helping infants, toddlers, and their families across Utah for 59 years, providing care for trauma, anxiety, depression, ADHD, many other mental health concerns young children and their families may encounter. It is heartbreaking he cannot be here with me to ask you, uh, ask you all to help us raise money for something that meant so much to him and so much to his family. I do not want all his hard work to die with him. And that's why I'm reaching out to you today. If you could please use your platform to help continue to raise awareness and continue to donate to the Children's Center so we can all keep fighting for the help that young children and adults all deserve. If Cade had the opportunity to find an organization like this when he first started showing signs of depression at the young age of eight, he may still be here with us today. I'll leave a link to the video of his talk at the United Nations and other news platforms uh, he spoke on at the bottom of this email. I will also leave his Instagram handle as well. Uh, on there, you can find a link to his obituary, all of his artwork, and an almost endless amount of comments from all the people he touched all around the world. He was a light that burned so fucking bright. He took life by the balls, lived with no fear. He has traveled all over the world, blessed so many people with his love and friendship. The world lost a true fucking treasure this month, and I'm determined to keep his legacy going. Thank you so much for taking the time to read this. I know it was long, but I'm sure as shit not sorry for the length. Kay deserves a novel and a movie about him. I'm just gifting you the short version for the sake of time. Feel free to use my name and my partner Jake's name if you'd like. Maybe there's enough people out there who listen that will recognize mine or Cade's name and be able to continue to spread his amazing legacy. Endless love, positive energy to all of you. Love, Daisha Chambers and Jake Davis. Here's how you pronounce their names, you mushmouth. I love that you left uh, phonetic uh, uh, pronunciation for Jake. Uh, at, it's not a gallery. And uh, yeah, I did watch the YouTube link. You sent me of his UN speech and holy shit, Daisha. Uh, it definitely fucks with my allergies. And, and I'm leaving you know, all the links in the show notes for today's show. So all the links you sent, uh, if anybody wants to access them, you just go to the Time Suck app and you can just download the show notes there and just click right on over on your, on your phone. And um, yeah, he, this, this guy uh, clearly was hurting inside, clearly cared so much about uh, easing not just his own pain, but the pain of others. Uh, he was the opposite of Stephen Paddock, a soul who wanted to heal, not to harm. I hope we can push some traffic in that direction. I hope sharing Kate's story can help save others from their own demons. Uh, For anyone listening on the edge right now, you know, think about this. Alex Jones is not ending his life anytime soon. Are you really cool with letting Alex Jones outlive you? Also, more importantly, get help and get it now. You're worth it. You're worth it. Unless you're you're Alex Jones listening to the show. Then, I don't know. Let's talk privately. Uh, Now for the first of uh, of a few Amish updates. Uh, Super sucker Sam Henry has Amish blood running through his veins. And he writes, hey, suck Lord and Lucifina Playtoy. Just listened to the Amish suck and had to say, wasn't surprised at anything. I grew up 20 minutes from Sugar Creek, Ohio. 
was around Amish the majority of my life. Got to see a lot of the weird shit they do. To me, I personally see them as not necessarily a cult, but as a weird sect. Uh, they act all holy and divine, but I've seen them smoke weed, drink whiskey, and cuss like a sailor. I even know normal people who have joined the Amish just to get away from paying taxes, which doesn't seem like a good trade-out at all. Another thing most people think uh, they can't have modern equipment, but I've seen them have cars and all sorts of electronics, but the catch is they can't use it. They have to have a non-Amish person use it for them. That's so ridiculous. Uh, where I grew up, they mostly spoke Pennsylvania Dutch. My mom, who lived in Germany for many years, knew enough German to understand what they were saying when they were around, and you'd be surprised about how much shit they talk and <laughs> how quick they shut up if you speak German to them. One last thing, my grandpa was raised Mennonite and his mother was Amish. He grew up in North Dakota, and when he turned 20, he joined the Navy to serve in Vietnam. And in doing so, got shunned because it's against their beliefs. But he put his country over his own family and religion, which made him a hero in my eyes. Sadly, he passed away four years ago. And as far as I know, his parents never spoke to him again. Uh, kind of a dumb rule they have. Sorry for the long email. Hope it reaches you well. Loyal meat sack and dummy, Sam. Well, Sam, I included your message because of that Vietnam uh, aspect of it. I mean, how crazy. You know, your, your son joins the Navy to fight for his country in a time of war and you shun him for it. How could anyone think that that is uh, God's will? What, what a shame, despicable. Uh, glad your grandpa got out. Sounds like he was an a, a awesome meat sack. And uh, thanks for the message. And now a Lancaster area sucker. Uh, a fine sack, dude named Kelly, has all kinds of uh, Amish information to relay to us. He writes, hey, Dan, wow, a local suck episode. I live in the Lancaster area and just wanted to uh, share a few things that you did not mention, may not have seen in your research. First off, they may have a resting a bitch face, but in all my personal interactions with them, the Amish could not be nicer people. This is coming from a guy with two full sleeves of the devil's ink. <laughs> I would also say in the same breath, they are the, uh, not my m- most favorite group. The molestations and rape in some families that you had mentioned, animal abuse with livestock and puppy mills, sorry, Bojangles. And on a lighter note, the horse shit all over the roadways. You definitely become disillusioned with their seemingly peaceful and wholesome way of life. All of that negative doesn't stick out in your head when you're stuck driving behind a buggy with two sweet little Amish children waving their arms off at you through the back window. But onto the things now I actually emailed you for. I wanted uh, to touch on what you said about Amish not having cell phones. While it seems frowned upon in their religion, it has become more common for young members to have and hide them. One example of this is Pervin Mervin. Who is Pervin Mervin, you ask? He received that moniker after being caught by a local guy who poses as young children and live streams meetups with perverts. The best part of old Pervin Mervin's video is that he showed up in his horse and buggy with a twisted tee and a Miller Lite to meet the girl. I know this sounds too ridiculous to be true. I have a, a link uh, for the video and local news article in this email. Uh, the live stream runner, Mr. 17540, deserves credit as police have charged many of these sick assholes after watching his videos. On to another sad story. And I watched that video. It's ridiculous. On to another sad story. You had mentioned the tragedy of the Nickel Mine school shooting. Another more recent bout with tragedy for this community is the kidnapping and murder of 18-year-old Linda Stolfus. Or Stolfus. Linda was kidnapped on her way home from church, Father's Day, June 21st, 2020. There were no new developments in the case until three weeks after the kidnapping when Justo Smoker was arrested and charged with the kidnapping and false imprisonment of Linda. FBI enhanced surveillance video in the area of the kidnapping. Actually, uh, they were able to watch the abduction happen on the video. Uh, excuse me, they released information to the public on make, model, and plates of the vehicle. Uh, police charged Smoker after receiving tips seeing his vehicle in different locations around the area, uh, once with an Amish woman in the front seat. On June 23rd, a business owner called police after noticing the car parked behind their shop. They said it was there two days earlier as well, and a man uh, matching Smoker's description was seen walking around the building, peering into the windows. He backed the car up to the railroad tracks, the same spot where it was parked a few days later. 
Cell phone records confirm he was in the area around 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. June 21st. In that same location, a pair of teen stockings and bra were found partially buried. It wasn't until December that he was formally charged in her murder. In the spring of 2021, he took a plea deal, finally revealed where she was buried. After 10 months, the Stolzfus family received closure. Her body was found just behind Smoker's former workplace in Gap, Pennsylvania. Police searched this area before, but did not find anything. Uh, they believed that she was originally killed, buried at the location in Ronks, then moved to his workplace in Gap after being spooked. Must have just miscrossed each other's paths. And right in line with the school shooting, the family forgave and prayed for Justo. To end this email on a lighter note, I can't believe you didn't bring up the weird local names in Amish country. Blue Ball, Intercourse, Fertility, Pennsylvania. Anyway, not sorry for the long email. If you read this on the podcast, could you please give a little blast of To Hell with the Devil uh, to my wife, Rachel, and buddy, Matt. You bet. To uh, newer members of this wonderful cult of ours. Uh, thanks to the whole Bad Magic team for keeping us laughing and learning. A dude named Kelly. Well, dude named Kelly. Wow, man. I watched that video you sent. Uh, good on that local vigilante catching predators. So weird to see a child predator with a dumb and dumber haircut. Uh, pulling up to do dirty shit uh, in a literal horse and buggy in 2021. It, f- it feels like part of a Reno 911 episode more than it does real life. And can't believe that family forgave Justo. Do not think I could. Uh, hope someone who feels like I do about shit like that is his cellmate in prison. Uh, now strong as fucking amazing meat sack. Megan Kennedy reminds me that sometimes it's good to get angry. Good to feel and express some righteous indignation. Megan writes, Dan, your homage suck was amazing just to keep this short. I just want to tell you that I love you. I uh, wish you'd started this podcast years ago when I was enduring my own abuse at the hands of my closest neighbor's son, nine years my senior. I had no one I could go to and like the Amish, didn't even understand what was happening nor why I was bleeding afterwards. It happened a dozen or so times before he went to jail slash prison for some unrelated charge. For much of my life, I thought it was my fault that I'd been raped, even though I was 11 and 12 years old. Your own personal view on pedo pee holes, see what I did there? Pedo plus assholes. Made me cry because I had, if I had heard you back then, I immediately would have felt like I wasn't alone and was not wrong in feeling what was happening was wrong. Uh, your words about the pedo and his beautiful daughters made me cry, and I hope like crazy that listeners, too, agree with you. Not sorry for the length. Keep up the awesome work. You're legit a highlight that I look forward to weekly. XOXL. Well, fuck yeah, Megan. I uh, love you, too. And, and fuck that neighbor. I hope he's still in prison. I hope he's getting the New Mexico prison riot treatment. Probably not, but one can hope. Uh, actually, I really hope that you uh, have gotten the psychological care you deserve. Uh, you live an amazing and full life of happiness and joy and healthy sex and sunshine and, uh, I don't know, uh, donuts. Do you like donuts? I love them. Old-fashioned glazed uh, maple bars. They're my faves. Uh, chocolate long johns. Uh, also very great. Uh, but seriously, though, good on you for just writing this message. Maybe some other scared girl will hear it and, and take more strength from it than I could ever give them. So keep being wonderful. And now let's end on some absolute Amish insanity. Not sure if the end of this message uh, happened, but someone told Super Sucker Jeremy that it did, and Jeremy seemed to believe it. And if it did, fucking wow. Just uh, wow. Jeremy writes, Dearest Suckmaster General, I'm a four-plus-year listener, first-time emailer, listening to the Amish live, quaint or terrible, brought back some memories ranging from humorous to cringy to appalling. I grew up in rural west-central Wisconsin, where there was a notable Amish population near my hometown. My father ran logging crews and for a short period of time had an Amish guy sawing with him. He may have uh, run out of farming work and needed employment uh, with an away from home business like you described. My dad always laughed at the guy's detailed knowledge of Green Bay Packers and Milwaukee Brewers news and information just come uh, just from listening to games and sports shows on my dad's truck radio. He'd ask my dad things like, do you think Brett Favre will play against the Bears on Sunday? He's been diagnosed with two cracked ribs. He'd probably never even seen these teams ever play on a TV. 
<laughs> when you talked about the Amish never wearing any clothing that uh, that may be considered gaudy, it reminded me that it reminded me that not only was their wardrobe basic, their aroma was too. In high school, I worked as a stalker and carry out at our town's grocery store. People would sometimes drive Amish families to the store because they couldn't safely pack their buggies full of grocery bags. <sighs> so ridiculous. The Amish uh, do not use deodorant or perfume. Let me tell you. In July and August, with temperatures in the 90s and humidity in the 70s and 80s, you can smell them five aisles away in their thick, unbreathable clothes. Oh, these poor bastards. Finally, this is the crazy part. A few years ago, I knew a guy who said he answered a wanted ad for the insemination of local Amish women for money. Yes, you read that correctly. Obviously, the community was attempting to get new genes in their pool in order to curtail some problems with inbreeding. <laughs> this is fucking crazy if this is real. He said he and a college friend who were strapped for cash went to an Amish residence, were looked over by elders. After getting approval, they walked them into a dark barn. An Amish woman in her childbearing years was bent over a table. Fucking what? The back of her dress was raised and he guided uh, them to walk up behind her. Looking up, he saw maybe seven white-haired and bearded elders standing aside, standing side by side with their arms crossed, observing the axe in the stifling hot building. At this point, he backed off, quickly exited with his friend who would have been next up. I'm actually, I actually am sorry for the long, <laughs> yeah, evil ele- electronic mail that will guarantee my damnation. Feel free to trim it down if necessary. My wife, Heather, and I have tickets to see you in Chicago in June. Cannot wait for the show. Keep on sucking, Jeremy. What the fuck, Jeremy? Uh, that sounds more like some fetish porn than real life. I kept waiting for you to say, just kidding. That's, get, this, get the fuck out of here. That's ridiculous. I don't know, though. Super shit, super weird shit does happen in real life. We've covered a lot of it, right? Dolphin sex, you know? We talked about that. Uh, thanks for sharing that craziness. I uh, I feel so bad for that lady in that barn. Uh, it's fucking so weird. Uh, please, God, let that not be true. And let's get out of this week's uh, Time Sucker updates. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. Uh, thanks again for listening to another Bad Magic Productions podcast, Meet Sacks. 285 straight weeks of suck. How crazy is that? Over 300 sucks in the feed in total, well over 600 hours of suckage. Uh, I appreciate you still sticking around and continue to tell your friends uh, the suck continues to grow. Don't fucking shoot any strangers this week in a mysterious and bloody exit. Uh, Alex Jones has already sold enough brain vitamins. Maybe get outside, sit by a lake. I don't know, just relax. Maybe jerk off, rub one out if you're feeling too worked up. Maybe just keep on sucking. Magic Productions. Same face, different mask. Uh, in the years before the Templars arrived, and a force from France, Robert the Bruce's campaign, the English had been pretty disastrous. I mean, and that that really plays into the uh, the Teutonic Order. Uh, there was a there was a Visigoth chateau uh, in, in France. Alchemy is a transformation of base man woman into pure spirit, and that's how the lizards like they'll distill you. Stick with me. The the, the Babylonian Brotherhood. Uh, Baphomet. That, that's how the, that's how the, the Knights Templar they they get into the 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 crown chakra, the third eye chakra, the throat chakra, uh, the heart chakra, and and, and the base chakra. All of us knows as the root chakra. Will sometimes tie into the uh, Obama administration, and and that's when Trump. That's how he gets involved. And they drink the blood, the adrenochrome, and that's how they get into the Stephen Paddocks. Uh, part of what they found they didn't talk about was the the, the adrenochrome they found. It is he had uh, had bottles. He had a uh, he had a camel. He had a camel camel pack of adrenochrome that gave him more strength to shoot. It's worth emphasizing again that the Satanist relationship with the female energy is important to all of this. And and that's that's how you get the reptilians, they live under the Vegas. They live Siegfried and Roy. They had a lot of tigers. And then they didn't. And one attacked them. Where's that coming from? Well, that's that's tied to I, my blood sugar is low. 
and I get sleepy sometimes. And sometimes uh, I feel like just maybe I should maybe I should just lay down and kind of just stop talking for a second. But that, 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 but if I talk if I talk too slow, the matrix gets realigned and I can't break the spell. And that's when the soul gets split in, in, into the new and the old. And that's when the Priory of Sion gets worked into the Mona Lisa. And um, I got I to gotta have some snacks. I said, <laughs> if, I, if I could just have some Doritos, I could, I could, I could, just, I could just keep I could keep going. I'm winding down. I'm, t- I'm tired. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.